Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast. We are back and we are covering a pretty interesting show today. We're covering the 2002 edition of Survivor Series, live from Madison Square Garden in the heart of New York City, Midtown, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, I am joined today to cover Survivor Series 2002 with my old friend, my good friend, Brian Campbell. How are you doing, Brian? Wonderful, Matt. How are you making out? I'm good. I'm good. This is interesting because I, I know I mentioned it on a previous podcast weeks and weeks ago, but you and I, we sat down and watched this together, not for this show, but just a couple months ago, we watched this. Just for pleasure, yeah. We sat down on a Friday night and, and took, it, took it in. So, yeah, we're yeah, pretty, I had, uh, pretty well versed. I had my choice of any uh, November pay-per-view I wanted to. Really, I could pick anything I wanted to because I'm a grown man. Uh, and all of, those are, all of the uh, options are available to me. But I went for Survivor Series 2002, knowing we cover it again. But I just had a hankering for it. This is a show I sometimes have a hankering for. And uh, I don't know. I'd be, I'm I'm really excited to kind of dig in deep with you, and because we in a more uh, studious way, perhaps uh, the 2002 edition of Survivor Series. Brian, when you think about the Survivor Series 2002, like what's the kind of the first thing that comes to mind for you? Well, it has to be the Elimination Chamber. Yeah, uh, the first the first ever, which I remember being very excited about as a kid because I had no idea like what it was going to be, being the first time they ever did it. Um, and I don't think it disappointed. Like that original Elimination Chamber was was pretty crazy. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I had no no memory of the Big Show, Brock Lesnar feud, or anything that happened on SmackDown. My my memories were pretty much limited to just the Elimination Chamber. So, oh, interesting. interesting to see what else we we had to offer on this one. Yeah, and you know, I will say, you know, even though usually I plead the fifth with Raw matches, and I say, you know what, <laughs> we're just going to look at the end of it and be, be done with it. Uh, we're going to go a little bit more in depth on the Elimination Chamber, just because there's just interesting things to talk about with it. You know, that it's not it's not a sacrifice to watch it and talk about it a little bit. So we'll go a little deeper with that. Um, but yeah, so on this podcast, you know, this is a SmackDown 6 podcast. We are covering the SmackDown 6 era of SmackDown. That's uh, 2002 to 2004, roughly kind of early 2004 in there. And uh, this is like kind of the peak of the SmackDown 6, right? Like this, is, this is a night that features all the members of the SmackDown 6 in one match. Um, it'll be interesting to talk about it because it's not kind of the classic that kind of should have been as a match, which is a little bit too bad. Uh, but this is like this is a pretty major show and, and major for our podcast too, considering that there's some major changes that happen. Um, there, spoiler alert: all the titles on the show change hands, so every single title match is a title change, which we'll talk about True. a little bit later on as well. So it's an interesting dynamic. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, Brian, before we get all the way underway, I got to ask you: Survivor Series. <laughs> what is your favorite Survivor Series match? Now it can be a match that happens in Survivor Series or a literal match where guys get eliminated. How do you feel about that? Which, Ooh, which I love your this. Favorite? That's a great question. Um, yeah, so I got. I don't know if I can answer with just one. I got a couple of. I got a couple that come that's come to mind for me personally. Uh, yeah. Bret Hart and Steve Austin from 1996. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, um, that's right. Also, the garden. That's terrific. right. Pretty that. terrific. Um, and I like uh, Bret Hart and Diesel from the uh, the '95 edition as well. Um, big Diesel mark, and I, I thought that might be his best match. Um, that's a really good one. Yeah, go back and watch that one for sure, folks. I really like those. Are two good ones, bro. Good job. Yeah, yeah. And I'll give you a tag as Survivor Series, a traditional elimination match. Um, the opener of Survivor Series '91. I don't remember exactly who's in it, but it's like Ric Flair and Ric Flair's on the heel team, and the uh, the face team is like Roddy Piper and Bret Hart. I just remember really loving that one. Oh that's yeah, my, that's my top three. That's like an early Ric Flair WWE match, right? Yeah, I think his yeah. first pay per view match uh, of his run. Yeah, I think he I think he ends up doing okay in that one. Um, in that match specifically, <laughs> which is good. He did he did do well. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. What about you? Um, 
Those are good ones. Oh, what? I don't know. I mean, you gave, you gave some great ones there. That Bret Hart Diesel one is really fun. Uh, it's one of those. I love a match where you're like, oh, this isn't like, I don't know, straightforward. Like, it's totally different stories um, at work in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the Buried Alive match from Survivor Series 2003. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's 2004? There's an ambulance match in there somewhere. Well, it was good because it was the burial of um, the worst incarnation of The Undertaker of all time. So yeah. I have fond memories of that. There is that. There is that benefit to it, which is good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, my risk, would, of course, would be probably just repeating you. So I'm just going to say yours were great. I co-signed both yours. Those are solid ones. Um, or um, or maybe I'll add the uh, – is it a 20-man elimination match where they had the tag teams? You remember that from back in uh, – I don't know what year that was. 88 or something oh, like that? With they the had double a, turn? With yeah, they hit a wild one where, they, there were like every, almost the entire ropes were covered in people. Um, yeah, 88, yeah. I think. Yeah, 88. So uh, I also have a, f- I have a fondness for Survivor Series 88 because I'm sure I was born within a week of that coming out. So <laughs> I was also released. Yeah. So uh, we're going to get to the show here, but uh, first we're going to cover, we'll talk about what happened on last week's episode. So in case you missed the podcast, I don't even know how you do that. That's not a podcast where just go back and watch, listen to it. But as a reminder, instead, it was the go home show for Survivor Series, of course, which we're talking about tonight. And we saw every member of the SmackDown 6 pair off in matches, including. A very funny match between Benoit and Angle, um, which had the other tag mm-hmm. teams where they're out there watching. It was like Kurt Angle at one point used Eddie Guerrero's finisher and said, this move sucks, which is very funny. Wow. Um, yeah, exactly. Tori Wilson called out her dad saying he was an old fool. And Brock Lesnar called out the Big Show after Big Show threatened to call him out. And then Big Brock beat the hell out of Big Show and left him in a bloody heap in a very satisfying angle leading into Survivor Series. So that was a good one. So, Brian, we are at Madison Square Garden. It is November 17th, 2002. We're on the cusp of me turning 15. I'm going to turn 15 a week later, next Saturday night, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, we're at the, we're at the what do they call it? The world's most famous arena? Yep, 100%. And of course, the best thing about wrestling shows, well, some of them, at the Garden, is the positioning of the entrance. I know, yes. So I always like that. That's very good. We'll talk about that when we get into the show a little bit, just how unique it is and the different kind of permutations of it. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the arena, which the Knicks constantly disappoint in. Uh, that's what people are excited about. <laughs> I get a Knicks dig in there. Why not? Um, so, Brian, the buy rate for the show is an, is an interesting one here. Okay. Um, so we talk about TV ratings usually, uh, but on a pay-per-view like this, we talk about the buy rate. This is how many people bought the show. There's a little bit of alchemy to it. Like It's not like a one-to-one. The number doesn't make a ton of sense, per se. Um, but this show did a .86 buy rate. Really? So, yeah. So let me let me kind of try to give you some context for this. So... No Mercy the month before did a 0.77. So this is a 0.09 better. I don't know mm-hmm. if that is a better that, that, w- that would make sense for them as what we call a Survivor Series, a traditional big four pay-per-view. I'm not sure whether they would count. Or at this point, there's a big five because they do have King of the Ring as well. Um, right. now, now, the other problem, Brian, is that the comparison would be the year before. But, and, but Survivor Series mm-hmm. 2001 was a very different show where it was the end of the invasion uh, it was this big epic conclusion of the storyline that was not that epic, I guess. Oh, but that very, one did a yeah, epic, very epic. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that did. Thank you. That did a one point one three. So it's like that's a pretty big drop off from the year before. Uh, like this year's being a point eight six, the one being a one point one three. So I don't know if they would consider this a disappointment or not. So I would think. It seems like, like to, it. You'd like to assume the Survivor Series would do better than than No Mercy. Although No Mercy was awesome, but yeah, it's a great show. It would make sense to me that they would want something close to a one at least. Yeah, I would have guessed a one. I thought you were going to yeah. ask me what my guess was. I was going to say about a one, so I'm a little bit surprised it was that low. 
Yeah, because at least at least like a one is more honorable. Like a one point one three the year before is obviously kind of bonkers, but uh, yeah, I can see them being happy with that. But say la vie. That's all. That's that's what happens, guys. You don't have you don't have the choices for this. So we're gonna start the show off. But of course, usually in this podcast we cover what happened on Velocity because that happened, uh, you know, the earlier on in the SmackDown <laughs> when they tape it. But we can talk about Heat, Brian. And would yes. you believe, would you believe Finally. this match was left off the pay per view? Hurricane and Goldust against Lance Storm and William Regal. That actually sounds amazing. I thought you were going to say a joke when you, when you started that sentence, but that, that match sounds unbelievable. Well, here, okay, here's the thing. I'm not surprised you feel that way because this is a wildly WCW match if you think about it, right? Because you've got Lord Steven Regal and Lance Storm against Sugar Shane Helms and the natural Dustin Rhodes. There you have it. And guess, WCW guess who was the referee? Oh, please say Charles Robinson or Nick Patrick. It was Nick Patrick. Yes. It was it, <laughs> my favorite. It was it was Turner time in Madison Square Garden at you know quarter to quarter to nine or quarter to eight on. Uh, oh, do you act, were you actually making a joke like you you were shocked that that great match was left off the pay per view? Like I think that would have been amazing. I mean, considering what the show has on it, I'm not surprised. You, you know what, Brian? What happened was when they run when they ran down the matches on the last SmackDown before this, they included right. this on the pay per view, and I was like, I don't think that makes the pay per view. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. <laughs> So, I think uh, that was a great match. I'm going to go back and watch it. Try to find it on YouTube. Well, Brian, it was three minutes long. So, uh, <laughs> yikes. I love, that they, I love that they bother doing matches that are three minutes long. And I got to say, so it took all of 90 seconds during that match before Jerry Lawler was talking about the women's title match later on and how it's a hardcore match and maybe that means that uh, their clothes will be torn off. That's where oh, Lawler was. Like, yikes. Yikes. This is a show where, you know, they're at least hoping that some tiny percentage of people is going, you know what, I'm going to buy Survivor Series. Maybe they think that was the way forward. They just suggest that. Who went over in that match? Well, what happened was that Big Show got a choke slam on Lance Storm, but then Goldust went in to add his curtain call, which is that in- inverted reverse DDT. And so imagine this. So Goldust has Lance Storm under his arm. So William Regal just runs over and hits Goldust, who gets cradled by Lance Storm and pinned. Like he didn't get hit Why by Why was the Big Show there? Oh, did I say Big Show? He said Big Show. I'm sorry. William Regal. Oh, William Regal. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> what an insane thing. So I was getting so angry at the big show. It was, just, it was literally interfering in the heat, heat match. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> what an insane scenario. I accidentally just drew, uh, dreamed up there. No, yeah. So William Regal runs over to Goldust and hits him, and he gets cradled by Lance Storm and pins. So um, okay. it was one of those. It's one of those finishes where you're like, does William Regal at least have like a like brass knuckles? No, he doesn't. He just he just knocked him over. It's like why would that be a pinfall? He's not even that surprising. He didn't go that fast. Anyway, man, to give those guys ten minutes, I bet that's great. Oh yeah, well it is. There is some good talent in there. Uh, I don't love Goldust, but he's not terrible either. So whatever, right? So Brian, time to cover Survivor Series 2002. I'm excited. I'm pumped. So we start with a video package, as all good pay per views start with a video package. Uh, and it shows uh, Brock Lesnar winning the Hell in a Cell match at No Mercy last month, followed by Big Show showing up to wreck him. And even Big <laughs> Show uh, slams Brock through the announce table. He tosses him off the ramp. We hear Paul Heyman in voiceover saying that we don't know how hurt Brock is from Hell in a Cell as we see that the carnage that was visited upon him. Then we see what Brock did last week, which is beating up Big Show and cracking him in with a chair. And uh, we also see him F5ing Hulk Hogan. Uh, that's uh, Brock Lesnar, Hulk Hogan, who I'm going to remind everybody now was supposed to be the original opponent for Brock at the show. Really? Tell yeah. So, okay. I've covered this a couple times, but real quick, wow. they wanted Brock Lesnar to face Hulk Hogan because it was Madison Square Garden and they wanted to have a big marquee match. 
Hulk Hogan said no, he wouldn't come back just to lose Brock Lesnar again. And so they had to decide between like a last minute, like, you know, one month out kind of thing to be like, okay, so do we make him go up against Big Show or Chris Benoit? Because they're originally going to do Benoit, possibly. And I think there was even talk of, you know, we give Benoit, Heyman turns on Brock, we give him Heyman, and Benoit and Heyman becomes a thing, which actually sounds pretty great. That'd be amazing. I know. So they they, instead, um, they did Big Show, which is maybe one of the worst possible scenarios they could have done. But who knows? I bet that fire rate gets to a one if it's Brock Hogan. I oh, mean, well, that's a, that's the thing, guaranteed. right? It's like, like, you have to think about that's what they're considering. Like, to do to do Hulk Hogan, Brock, and the Elimination Chamber is like, that's pretty huge. That's enormous. So uh, for the video package, we also see Eric Bischoff's face. And we hear him talking about the raw product. And we see... Yeah. We see <laughs> The only thing Brian remembers. We see uh, Bischoff's <laughs> follies on raw, like HLA... Stacey Keeler dancing on a table and Triple Hitch being handed the world title. So all, all of all of Bischoff's vices all happening all at once on here. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Bischoff talks about the about evolution being essential. And boy, we're gonna hear that in the future. And, and, and then we see a, kind of an evolution of the uh, the main adventures of, of WWE. We see Hulk Hogan and then Bret Hart, Steve Austin, The Rock. We see all of them leading up to that. Which I guess just to show them. And then we also see the Elimination Chamber being built, or kind of more generic footage of welding, really. That's all that's really happening. And then we see the competitors for the matchup, the Elimination Chamber match tonight. And then we hear, and now, Raw and SmackDown. And now. WWE Survivor Series. And then I we hear... about how much I love the welding promo, because it's kind of like a callback to War Games. There's a very famous... For the first war games that similarly when people didn't really know what that was going to be they had, a, they had a welding promo it really gets to the blood pumping like yeah what's this going to be so somebody, I actually, that. somebody actually had to build all this stuff guys like it's a real thing yeah. it's a good there's also a good war games call out a little bit later on which i don't, didn't remember but it totally is happens later on tonight um so yeah we see uh, the pyro goes off at the entrance and then uh, we also see something that I'll mention a few times during the show, which is there's a stage in the crowd for pyro. I call it the pyro stage. And yeah, so yeah. it's like you said, Brian, there's a thing, this Madison Square Garden style entrance is this classic thing where if you're watching a, like a regular pay-per-view there, um, you'll see that the, the entrance for the wrestlers is not a big set. It is essentially a Zamboni-sized concrete door. And there, for this show at least, they have a uh, like a big video screen that's kind of split in half, so they can open it up like a door and come through it. It's essentially these two kind of small vertical screens, and so this is like it's just a very different looking thing. Like there's not a lot of like all the glitz and glamour. It's just like there's a video screen in the middle, and then it's just surrounded by people also. And so that's why they have to have this pyro stage kind of off to the left hand side of the uh, the hard camera. And uh, the other thing, too, with the hard camera, usually when you're facing the ring, on the left is the stage, which I guess is technically what's happening here. But in this case, you're facing towards the stage. So they like when a guy comes out, they can just kind of keep the hard end camera thing, too. So anyway, it's a very unique looking show, which is fun. And it's a similar they, they do a similar thing. at I think Survivor Series 96 and at uh, Royal Rumble 2000, this show, 10. WrestleMania 10, yeah, uh, Royal Rumble 2008, I believe, is also there. Anyway, there's all sorts. Not not so at WrestleMania 20, which they do a uh, proper stage entrance, which you think would they would maybe not do, considering all the people you'd have to cut out to have a proper stage there, but they did it. So we also see the Elimination Chambers hanging over the arena. And uh, JR, JR welcomes us. He calls this the world's most famous arena, but Brian, I feel like the Roman Coliseum might be a little bit more famous, don't you think? <laughs> 
Yes, it's it's terrible they didn't include the Roman Colosseum in those rankings. Could you imagine if you were like, well, do it with the exception of the Roman Colosseum, it's the most famous. <laughs> More it's like, would say that. I can see yeah. him saying that. Oh, absolutely. Sure. He'd be like Vinny Vinny Vici or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. No, no, he would he would he would <laughs> he would like quote I don't know try to try to like like Bad Bunny or something like that. Well, that's Bad, Bad Bunny. Bunny. <laughs> Bad Bunny, yeah. Bad Bunny's actually a big deal. I was listening to him today. I know. He's getting bigger, and, and especially in WWE. So, um, JR says to the Elimination Chamber that it's 10 tons, and there's two miles of chain in it. And Jerry Lawler describes it as ominous, which just feels so much like a Vince McMahon line. Like, oh, 100%. Yeah. Where have I, I heard know. that before? I, I don't even like know. If... that's been said before, like a casket match or something. Oh, yeah. Ominous is a big word for him. Vince, he's got, a, he's got like a lot of little, like... Uh, kind of like $5 words he really likes to use. Ominous is one. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. I didn't write this down. When Goldust came out on Heat, Jerry Lawler and JR, they still do the thing where they're like, he's he's a unique individual, I'll tell you. Like, they came really close to calling him Bizarre, and I was like, oh, please call him Bizarre. <laughs> I love that. Call, call, call Goldust Bizarre, like you would call him 15 times in 1996 because you didn't have the words to say that he seemed a little bit gay. Homosexual, yeah. <laughs> That's what you meant, and you didn't do it. So we start the night off with Bubba, Spike Dudley, and Jeff Hardy in a tables match against Three Minute Warning and Rico. And uh, we this is kind of a random thing. There's Dudley Pyro, and so the the uh, you know usually the, the Pyro is like uh, it's like a missile kind of like or like a bomb kind of like being directed at the entrance. And only in this case it goes from the ceiling to the little stage in the crowd, so it's not go to the uh, actual tiny entrance here too. And this is the only non-title match of the night. Uh, obviously, there's no title for uh, triple uh, tag team or or, or, or six man tag team table matches, but maybe um, there should be. Maybe there should be. So this is a raw match, which we're not going to cover, but you, uh, we're going to get skip to the end of it. But there's some stuff in this match that are, is actually worth watching because uh, Jeff Hardy blows a spot in a major way, which kind of suggests that he was kind of messed up. Rico has to stand this, really awkwardly. This was awesome. and I, I didn't watch this for this show, but um, as Matt mentioned, we watched it together recently. This match is, is amazing, and Jeff Hardy is definitely high. Like he, he's, it's amazing how well he performs, considering how obviously inebriated he is, despite yeah, blowing spots. He is in he is in fully bad shape, and uh, he he just even does the the swanton bomb from the entrance, which he did last time he was in a tables match at Madison Square Garden uh, to to his opponent, if I'm not mistaken, but or to his teammate Bubba Ray. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's an elimination tables match. So you go through a table, you get eliminated, and so you're technically supposed to not be involved anymore. And uh, so it comes down to just Bubba and Rico, which, of course, is what everybody wants to see. I think almost any other combination of that would make more sense, right? Jeff Hardy and one of the Jamal and Rosie, right? So, um, so yeah, it's Bubba and Rico, but Jamal and Rosie are still there beating Bubba up. And the announcers are mad about it um, because they were eliminated, Brian. Um, oh, but, yeah. But a tables match is necessarily means it's no disqualification, so who, who cares who interferes, right? And, uh, I'm with you. Yeah, but especially they should really swallow the words because out from the back runs Devon Dudley, no longer a reverend. Oh, no yeah, longer I forgot about that. This yeah. is awesome. Devon runs in. He gets rid of three-minute warning. They 3D Rico for a table for the win for Bubba's team, and the crowd just loves it. They love it. They're excited about it. Bubba kind of waits for a second and kind of be like, oh, is this guy a bad guy? And they high-five. It's all great. And so, yeah, I guess Devon's on Raw now. You know, I imagine they don't explain that. Um, after all, Big Show got traded to SmackDown. We still don't know who for, and I'm sure at this point we will never know. <laughs> we will never figure that out. Yeah. They said they were going to announce it, but it never happened. They made a point of being like, we're going to, oh, man, I can't wait to find out. And I was like, they don't know. They have no idea. 
<laughs> also, just for the record, when Matt and I watched the show and Devon came out, I marked out very hard. Like, I jumped off Matt's coach. I think I was so excited for that moment. I didn't even like the Dudley Boys. So yeah. it, was, it was great. It was they, they were coming back. They were getting back together. It was after, after a very uh, poorly decided splitting up of those guys. Just objectively, yeah. maybe, maybe one of the most tag teams ever where you're, you're like, they need each other. Um, oh, 100%. I mean, they have one of the most over-tag team moves of all time. It's cool. 3D. It's awesome. People love it. Like, it gets a huge reaction every time. And um, speaking of something that gets a huge reaction every time, we go to the world at Times Square, which is the <laughs> WWE restaurant. Um, when it, and when they show the outside of the building, it appears to be zero WWE branding on the sign or the name. You could walk in there and be like, I don't know what the world is. Uh, I think the W is like kind of looks like one of the uh, kind of scratch logo W's, but it's the closest thing there. So Stacy Keeler is there in the restaurant, and uh, she's talking about things. She shouts out Tess uh, fans because at this point she's supporting Tess, and she's trying. They're trying to get over the idea that Tess fans are called testicles. <laughs> so stupid. It's a very stupid so thing. Stupid. It's. I don't. I just don't know how you hear things like that and you're not like. Uh, hey, that's not a main event uh, gimmick at all. Like, that'll be, I'll never succeed with that. They're like, yeah, whatever. Who cares about you? It's just so sad. So she's there to actually pitch to Saliva, the band. Hey, if you forgot Saliva, the band existed. Here they are. In November 2002, they're at the World in New York City. And this is not the only performance they do tonight. Nope, not even close. No, they do a performance of the song always. You know, I will say Saliva is not that terrible. Like some of the stuff they did tonight, I'm like, ah, that's fine. Like, especially for the time. Yeah, it wasn't style. that bad, right? I was no. surprised by how decent it was. Yeah, like I can, I get it. This would be, this is like a top tier to me. Like, uh, is it still, is it considered new metal or, or yeah, like kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, I would say. I would say yeah. so. Yeah, new metal. So they do the song always and they cut to clips of feuds that are happening tonight, like uh, Victoria and Trish. Uh, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, who are actually teaming together, and Brock and Big Show, and Elimination Chamber. So, just a little music video break, just to freshen things up. And uh, then we see, we go to the back, we see that Rob Van Dam is doing splits between two forklifts. <laughs> this is the first of many um, of little vignettes they do where they show just one of the competitors from the Elimination Chamber match. Like, seemingly between every match, they're like, okay, now here's Booker T, now here's Kane, now here's, here's uh, Shawn Michaels. They're all in there. So, from RVD doing splits on the two forklifts, we go to Jamie Noble, accompanied by Nidia, against Billy Kidman for the Cruiserweight Championship here in Madison Square Garden. There's a, a sign in the crowd that says, Nidia is my cousin slash sister, which I guess is a burn on her. Can't, can't really make much sense of that. Yeah, I don't know. So, we're reminded that these guys faced off on SmackDown last week for some reason. I don't know why you would have that match happening. Even, like, this was already, like, this match already existed, too. So, I don't know why they were... Like, why would you buy a pay-per-view and be like, hey, watch these guys fight again. Only, the, the title be up for grabs this time. Like, All right, whatever. Um, Billy Kidman comes out. And he has his cooler music now. And they even make call I out. The, you don't like the music? The, no, ooh, not at all. No, I really? hate it. I, I don't like anything about Kidman's presentation here. I think he should be wearing the wife beater and jeans <laughs> a la 1998. The only time he was over. Like, he just looks so bland with his red bicycle shorts, you know? Um, He's a very bland wrestler here. It's actually shocking. Like th- the only thing he has is the shooting star press. Even that, I don't even really like his shooting star press. Wasn't great tonight. I'll say that. No, he's not. So I, I do like his music now. It's almost honestly, I think it's like too cool for Kidman. Like it's like it, it sounds like something, and he's kind of nothing. Uh, no offense to Kidman, who is um, I think still working there, or maybe at WWE, or maybe he got. Um, he might have been furloughed, but I can I see feel that. Like he's, I feel like he was there for quite a while. 
I mean, Billy Kidman's in your locker room. You're looking at him and saying, hey, there's an essential worker. Like, tr- <laughs> a worker, too, specifically, right? Wrestling. Peter Brunner. Peter Brunner. Billy, Billy, Billy Kidman is not the best name either. Kidman. Weird. So we start off. Billy Kidman starts with a roll-up, and then it hits a sunset flip. And then Noble pops Kidman up, and he gets a Hurricane Rana on Noble. So Noble goes to take a walk outside. Uh, but then Kidman just goes out and throws him back in. Poor, poor Noble. So... Kidman tries to get a clothesline after he tosses Noble in the corner, but Noble grabs him. He turns it into a neckbreaker. And then uh, Noble does what feels the most natural to him, is which he puts Kidman in a surfboard stretch, uh, and then he just yells, Come on, boy! I love that. I was going to comment on, like, come on, boy. Like, it's as so long good. as you're not saying that to an African-American opponent, I enjoy it every single time. Oh, yes, because he'd be misconstrued in a bad way. But Noble just <laughs> saying it and yelling, like, uh, he's just used that dude in all matches, yell. So uh, Kidman gets out of the the, the uh, surfboard stretch. He comes off the ropes, but Noble just tosses him over the top rope. And then he runs and hits a suicide dive to the outside like it's NXT up in here. Just throwing off suicide dives. No big deal here, Jamie Noble. Good for him. Uh, so Jamie Noble goes up top, and he goes for a crossbody. He gets drop kicked, which looked good. And uh, this is where I noticed... Um, actually, they, they pointed out there's already blood in the ring. And the announcer... Yes. Gets, yeah, they say, they say oh... They said it was Rico's, apparently. He apparently had his arm cut during the tables match, which, when you think about it, would be a like, pretty nasty cut. Like, if you got, if you went through a table or something kind of n- not hit you with a table and it caused you to bleed, like, that would not be a good time. Not fun. Bad, yeah. bad, not good. Yeah. So, so with, after the first match, there's already blood in the ring, which is, like, so dark. And, and they don't do that now, which is crazy. So, Jamie Noble gets, um, Kimmin, sorry, gets Noble into a fireman's carry. Before he uh, flips him over into an Ushiguroshi kind of move where he kind of drops him on his knee. A little Adam Cole style move there. Yes. And then uh, Jamie Noble gets a Michinoku driver slash Hoovy driver, which gets two. Would you? What's your What's your default, Brian? You call that a Hoovy driver or a Michinoku driver? Of course I call it a Hoovy driver. Um, yeah. I was just recently enjoying a uh, December 1999 edition of Thunder where... Um, Hooventude was on commentary with his broken English. It was it was just great. He called himself the Juice in the third person and imitated the Rock. It was wonderful. Um, but yeah, Hoovy Driver for sure. It was. It's more natural for me to call it the Hoovy Driver as well. And I, I'm glad I could we can pay respect to the Juice in this uh, on this podcast. The juice. Yeah, I'm so grateful. Um, I, for some reason, I just, I'm thinking of um, Hooventude Guerrero as his his taunt in uh, WCW Revenge, where he has like I don't even know who does. He's like kind of like a. He, like throws his arm by his side and he kind of looks over both ways. I always enjoyed that. That was like a good little yeah. like. Eh. That's a very obscure reference, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah every, everybody's played NW, WCW NWO Revenge. Actually, probably like ninety percent of the audience has played that game, so I shouldn't say it's obscure at all. It's relatively obscure, but yeah, if you can find that <laughs> that uh, taunt, you'll know what I'm doing. So yes, that only gets two for Jimmy Noble, the uh, Hoobie driver. So Kimmin drops him on his face. He goes up top. But Nidia pulls Noble outside to spare him. But unfortunately, that doesn't spare him because Kidman comes out with a crossbody and hits it with it. And so back in, uh, Kidman hits a slingshot leg drop on Jamie Noble for two. And then uh, Nidia grabs Kidman's legs by the ropes when he goes off the ropes, like uh, on an Irish whip. And so he grabs her hair. So she's screaming and she slaps Kidman, which should maybe be a disqualification, I would argue. Um, then Jimmy Noble charges in, and uh, but Kimmy kind of moves away, so Noble hits Nidia instead. And then Kimmy hits, I guess, a lowdown. I don't know what Kimmy calls it, but he it's a lowdown. Yeah. Yeah. He hits a lowdown, and that gets two. And then so uh, Jamie Noble goes for a Tiger Bomb, but it's countered into a backslide. 
Uh, but Jimmy Noble goes for it again. It's his finisher. He hits the Tiger Bomb, and that gets two. Great near fall. Kimmy kicks out. This. But the problem for this now is that Jimmy Noble has no other finisher. He's got nowhere to go. So all the, it's kind of all she wrote for him in terms of his ability to come back from this. I guess except for cheating. He kind of cheats as one of his finishers, I would say. So um, no, Kimmy goes up top, uh, but Jimmy Noble follows. And then Kimmy hits top rope face buster style move on Noble, which gets two as well. Um, and this is where I noticed, Brian, the crowd's pretty dead for this. Well, you know what? I thought they were pretty dead at the beginning, but I thought, I thought by the end they kind of got them a little bit. Um, a little bit, maybe, but at this point, it's still pretty bad. Well, Kidman's just a bland babyface. Like, who cares, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to cheer for there. I mean, at maybe least get they... Rey Mysterio out there in the cruiserweight division, right? And I mean, you know, if you if you to match where the whole thing is, like at Jamie Noble's expense, and it's like funnier, I think the crowd's more into that. But this is pretty straightforward. Like Jamie Noble's just like a regular heel, even though he is funny. Um, he's not doing anything especially there. So. So, yeah, well, you know what happens is that actually Jimmy Noble puts Kidman on the top turnbuckle and then drops him with a DDT from a really high angle, which gets two. But the crowd actually livens up at that. They're like, oh, that looks pretty pretty painful. So but that was a good thing. Um, Kidman gets an enziguri. The, uh, you know, I don't have to explain what enziguri is. If you're listening to this, you know what that is. Anyway, he kicks him in the back of the head. And yeah, then uh, Jimmy Noble. Knows yeah, I think you have to know that, really. That's like table stakes. Um, so uh, Noble gets dragged into the corner after that kick. And so Nidia goes to grab Kidman, but she gets kicked off. So Noble goes up. He gets knocked off, too. Billy Kimmon hits a shooting star shooting star press, and that is enough to get the pin and the cruiserweight title here at Survivor Series 2002. Um, and I actually think if you look at the replay, I think Kimmon hit his legs on the way down. On a, like, he hit the ropes with legs on the way down from there. Yeah, it wasn't great. Really not the best he's ever done. Yeah, it's, it's a good move, but I feel like he genuinely executes it pretty badly, sadly. Good Which, match, though. I yeah. Good match. But Brian, tell me, why after the match does Kimmon leave through the crowd? I have absolutely no idea why he did that. I He's not trying to get him over as like a people's cruiserweight champion. So weird. I mean, like if I'm them, I'm like, okay, hey, Kimmon, what's up, man? Like, what are you doing? Like, they, they do not care. It is not meaningful that he does it. But Kimmon, yeah, he leaves through the crowd. He heads towards the pyro stage on the left. And then so has Kidman? Can I ask, Matt? Has Kidman had any type of storyline development in recent SmackDowns? whatsoever like does he have a character or is he just bland babyface he's, he's bland man like the, like he's been uh in the last month or so they kind of heated him up to make him a, a viable opponent against jamie noble but they've done that for all sorts of guys um they don't make they don't make use of the fact that there's a personal connection between kibben and tori wilson which would make more sense that would that would actually be a good use of tori wilson kibben over like you kidding me imagine imagine you, that well imagine you know him interfering with al and everything he'd get involved in that storyline if somebody could actually work you know what, man? I just thought of this, too. This is, like, the most obvious thing in the world to me now, in retrospect, and maybe for a couple of specific reasons. Here's what you do. Just do Mark Merrow and Sable, but with Kidman and Tori Wilson. Do it again. Like, just make 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 them make them faces, make them good guys, and then Kidman starts getting jealous of Tori and all the attention he gets. He also does a shooting star press, which is hilarious when you think about it that way. And then you make Kidman a jealous heel in six months to a year. And people I care about that. it. The issue is... The issue is, I've I've watched some '99 WCW where they attempted to make Kidman a big deal and have him cut promos. And I mean, not that Mark Merrow is the most amazing talent of all time, but I don't think Kidman can pull that off. I really don't. Yeah, I guess you do need to have him. To, like, you'd have to have a good heel thing of like ah, being mad about it. Um, now I will say about Mark Merrow, he is quite pretty though. Don't you think? Oh, he's as pretty as a pitcher. Some might say he looks just like Little Richard. Right. That's a good point, man. Ah, uh, boy. I love 
<laughs> Slam Jam album. One of the greatest wrestling albums ever released. <laughs> oh, WCW. Oh, gosh, I love it. Um, anyway, so after the after Kibben match, we go backstage, and Kurt Angle is looking at the, the TV monitor, which I guess maybe they, I don't know if they bought the pay-per-view technically or how that works, the monitor's backstage, but Kurt Angle is talking to Benoit about the last match. He said, did you, did you see that? And Benoit's wearing... Barry's Kidman. Yeah, he's he, Benoit, by the way, just to, put, just to help people imagine this, uh, he's got to put a little smack down on a shirt, a shirt that I need to own, just to be, just to be crystal clear, so I can wear that too uh, when I jog. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Kidman, he says, if Billy freaking Kidman can win the Cruiserweight title, uh, you know, essentially saying, look, we can, we can win it in that case. We can win our match tonight. And so Angle's trying to motivate Benoit, but essentially he says, which Kurt Angle just can't help but say, he, he has to say to Benoit, you know, as long as you stay out of the way, get out of my way, uh, we can win tonight. Benoit gets worked up at that, of course. Uh, both these guys just need to, like, Angle needs to not say dumb stuff, and Benoit needs to stop calling him on dumb stuff, because they can go so much further. But Angle says, look, we're partners, amigos, bosom buddies, <laughs> bosom friends, buddies, like friends to the end. And he's, he's stopping after each one. Everybody's getting excited. The, the crowd is enjoying that. And um, he says, when they're when we're together, no one can beat us. And I'd be inclined to agree. I mean, this would be like a completely dominant tag team if they could just get along. And so Benoit extends his hand for a shake. And uh, Angle acts offended. He goes, tag team partners don't shake hands. This is all this reaction from the crowd. And Benoit waits a second, or sorry, Angle waits a second. He says, tag team partners got a hug. And so this is what they did last week on SmackDown too, except without the uh, the promo. And so they hug, and we, we see that Benoit is awkwardly getting hugged, and Angle slapping on the back. And then we see Angle's relishing the hug, and he's patting him. Uh, I love the Kurt Angle part of his gimmick. It's just that he's like an affectionate man and wants to hug people. Yeah, I like that. And I like that he's a heel for that. You know? What a detail of that. Yeah, exactly. He's like freaking people out with his physical intimacy. If any, he's just comfortable with masculinity. That's all. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to uh, knock people down for that. Uh, and then so we go. We go to another one of the elimination chamber highlight spots for uh, the the, uh, the participants of it. And we see Chris Jericho, who's standing next to some yeah. plexiglass, and he's just like he just kind of like hits it a few times. Like he's like I don't know. It's just it's so funny that they're like okay, we got to get 15 seconds of you like standing next to something looking tough. So I don't just hit it or something. Chris, your dad was a hockey player. Maybe you're used to that kind of plexiglass. It shows where Chris Jericho's character is at this point. Like they have nothing, they have nothing for him to do backstage that, that relates to his character at all. Gosh, I have so many questions about him. Um, when we get to the Elimination Chamber match, folks, we're going to do a who's up, who's down of all the guys in that match. So we'll talk a little bit about where they are at this point and yeah, what Jericho's doing here. So uh, and then we go, we see a shot from F View, and it's Victoria in her dressing room. Do you remember F View, Brian? I, I we watch this show and I don't remember FU. It reminds me of um, GTV, GTV from um, like '99 no, not... Raw with Gold Dust. Um, but you explained it to me at the time, but I, I don't even remember what what FU was supposed to be. Yeah, so um, if I recall correctly, I don't know if um, Bischoff he might have introduced it even just right off the hop before they even showed it or, or what they did. But essentially, the idea of it is Bischoff wants to see what's happening backstage. He wants to get, capture the drama that's taking place, and so just he has just put cameras and also it's a place. And uh, so he is, you know, he, he's got it all sorts of places. And he said, and if you don't like, you don't like that idea, F you, right? So this whole F you, F you thing. So he's kind of playing with that idea. So, yeah, I guess he decided to put one of the, uh, one of these cameras in uh, Victoria's dressing room, which is uh, an odd choice, I guess. But it's kind of like, it's like up in the ceiling and everything. They, they really did a whole thing. So 
Victoria's there, and uh, she asks her mirror that she has in her dressing room. She asks who the prettiest diva of the wall is, and she combs her hair. And apparently the mirror says it's Trish Stratus, because that's how Victoria reacts. She goes, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Uh, which is, to be clear, that is a perfect uh, impression of Victoria this time. She says exactly that. So um, she yells out of the mirror, and then she grabs the mirror, and she shatters it against the equipment box it's stacked on top of. And uh, there's also a standee of Trish Stratus next to it, which Victoria grabs and rips the head off of. Um, and I gotta ask, why did she even have that? Yeah, what was that all about? Her, her whole dressing room is, like, worth p- picking apart, because she has, like, it's a mirror on top of an equipment box, a standee, uh, there may be some bags somewhere. It's just, like, a very, like, sad little room. But I try to get try to get clear that she's a, she's a nut bar. She's loco, I say, Vato, right? So, I thought, I thought Victoria was great at this period. I'm a really big Victoria Merrick, and, um, she was recently in the Royal Rumble, not to date the show, but Matt That's and I, right. um, and she was great. She was amazing in the Royal Rumble. So, uh, she did yeah, great. Big great. Victoria fan. I was too. I don't even like, I don't even know what it was about her. I think, I think I a little bit was not rebelling, but like, I, I didn't love the whole like, hey, WWE, like they're all just like these, these like blonde bombshells. They just didn't seem like Tori Wilson and Trish Stratus are obviously beautiful women, but like they're not particularly realistic. They're not like, no. like whereas Victoria was like, oh, <laughs> she's a brunette. So she's a normal person. And but she was still very beautiful. And she actually had an interesting character, which was like, I actually want to see. And she was good at wrestling. So it's like, actually, that's like ticking more boxes for me where I actually want to see someone be competent instead of like not good. <laughs> Yeah, competency was uh, was underrated in the women's division at that time. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, so yeah, we and we go from this uh, this this peek into Victoria's uh, troubled mind. We see Jerry Lawler and um, and uh, Jr. at the announce table, and Jr. says that Lawler has a PhD in women. So what's his assessment on Victoria? And Lawler says, "Well, she was never the same since the house fell on her sister." Har har, Wizard of Oz joke. This is so terrible on so many levels. The fact that they're making a joke about J.R. Lawler having a PhD in women when he was accused of, you know, essentially what? pedophilia. Like, what like, are you guys What is doing? that? It's such a good point. Like, the idea that J.R. Jerry, Jerry, uh, is looking earnestly at Jerry Lawler and saying, you know a lot about women. It's like, he is a pervert. He's only, like, his <laughs> character on the show. Women. No, he's just chasing them. He's like, he's, he's got, like... It's like asking a like, hey dogs, you know something about bones, right? Like it's no, they don't know anything about bones. They just want to eat them. They just want to they're just chasing yeah. after That's all it is. He has no insight into the way women think at all. <laughs> like, JR, what are you doing, man? And exactly, a guy who was famously I mean, just, even just having him be like a lascivious creep on the show all the time when it's like he was credibly accused of statutory rape. Um, I wouldn't do it. Like I just wouldn't be my move as a guy. No, like, like I don't know, George Clooney might have a PhD in women or somebody like that, but much better. Jerry Lawler, come on. Much yeah, at least at least get somebody who is like a prolific lover and also a uh, maybe somebody who's appealing to people instead of Jerry Lawler. So Jr. announces that this match, he says, uh, "There's two beautiful women in this hardcore match." It's so funny to hear a match that they describe like, "Oh, look, at these these beautiful women here." It's like they would never, never in a million years, they describe a match that way now. Um, no. And Jerry Lawler says, "Anything goes," and I hope it's the clothes. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Like it is. No, I know, but it's it's ridiculous. It is. It's funny. I mean, Uh, we watched the women's Royal Rumble there the other day, and like, it's so crazy how different the presentation is. It's really crazy because they they treat it as equal as opposed to this point where it's like could not be less equal. Uh, (laughs) So it's Victoria. It's Trish Stratus. It's a women's title match. It's a hardcore match too. Um, 
And we start with a video package. It's narrated by Victoria. And she talks about how uh, both she and Trish Stratus were recruited to WWE from fitness modeling. But she says that Trish let Victoria get her chance. And uh, we see Trish winning the women's title. That was, uh, I think it was back at uh, SummerSlam Run Forgiven, one of those. And she's talking to Coachman. And she has this very earnest interview to Coach where she's like, oh, this is such a meaningful thing to me. And I remember the crowd just being like, who cares? <laughs> they <didn't. laughs> As they did in yeah. those days. Uh, and so then we see, see we see clips from uh, the last few weeks of battles between Victoria and Trish. And Victoria keeps being called a psycho, uh, but we just keep seeing Victoria attacking Trish, which is hardly psychotic. That's just what opponents do. Like they really kind of they really dump on Victoria for being a bad person, even though or uh, clearly somebody was mentally deranged. But I don't know. They're, they're they're pushing for it there. And then we also see something, Brian, that I don't know if we've ever even seen since then, which is we see Victoria hit Trish with a steel chair. Which gives us the rare visual of an unprotected an unprotected chair shot on a woman. Has that ever happened? Yeah, I liked it. Has that even happened? Like, when when would that all have ever happened again? I can't recall it. I'm sure it must have happened, yeah, subsequently. But it's weird. Uh, it's it's certainly uh, an antiquated antiquated thing. It's weird <laughs> to see it anymore. It's weird to see unprotected chair shots. Period. But one a woman to woman one is completely bizarre. So. Um, Victoria comes out and she pushes the double screen door on her way through, which is good. Like instead of like it just opening for her, she like she pushes it through, which is a nice kind of character work of her showing how like intense she is. And uh, Brian, this is where I have to point out one of the uh, one of the crimes of the night, which oh. is uh, Victoria's music is generic WWE music. It is decidedly not. Oh man, yes, all the things this she was said. A crime. By tattoo. Let me tell you something. That song is amazing. All the things she said by tattoo is it's it's incredible, incredible track, and it worked perfectly with Victoria. I understand why they can't have it on the network, but just it, it just loses so much. Brian, it is a banger. It is a banger. It is, it's, a, it's it is a stone cold club banger. Max. It's a bop, <laughs> as the kids would say. <laughs> It's folks. It's a bop. We can't. We throw our hands in the air. We just go. We have to say it. it. Honestly, if you haven't listened to that song in a while, I encourage you to you know, load up your streaming service of choice. Find all the things she said by Tattoo. Uh, great drum intro. Uh, j- just, just it, it really is. And you said it perfectly, Brian. Like it really nails her character so well. And I was listening to. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I listened to it tonight, and uh, I couldn't help but think when I was listening to it. I was like, you know what? Like this track is so good. Like we deserve to see. Victoria like win a title at the end of a pay-per-view so we hear this at the end of the show like pushing us out because it's like it's such an epic like it's just an epic track man it sounds so cool and I just wish that there was like a moment where we'd have like we have uh, an opportunity to really kind of bathe in it uh, as fans with like a big Victoria win or something like that I think it'd be great um, but unfortunately it's not here you have to just imagine or look up times online where she has come out to all the things she said actually when she did come out of the Royal Rumble somebody did go in and edit in that song which is hilarious because they're like no no we, this is Victoria we have this song as part of it yeah, I love that yeah it's also it's, it's kind of a weird choice that she's this person with this like proper like song from a band I mean I know they did a few, lot more of that I mean Triple H and stuff like that but like kind of an interesting choice to have it be a lady do that so this is a uh, this is a raw match so we're going to skip to the end here and so uh, Victoria Victoria grabs a fire extinguisher from under the ring, and uh, Trish goes to grab her hair, and then she, they kind of struggle for a second because Victoria can't really get a good grip on the extinguisher, but she grabs it. She sprays Trish in the face of the extinguisher, and then she gets back in the ring, and Victoria just suplexes Trish, floats over to cover her, and she gets the one, two, and the three. And their second title match leads to a second title change. Victoria is a new women's champion on Raw. I like that. 
Now, when we watched this match, mm -hmm. I, rem I remember thinking it was going to be really good for some reason. I'd watched this pay-per-view several years ago, and I, I remember being blown away by this match. So I was hyping it up, like, oh, this is this is a really great women's match. It's going to be so great. It was not good. It was really not very good. Yeah, I, I, I remember being excited for it, like, on the night of – I think I bought this show, by the way. I'm sure that this was a show that we I saw live uh, in 2002. And I think I just was like, it seemed like the, it seemed like a, like a really good opportunity for them because they were going to give the match time. They're going to make it a hardcore match. It was going to be interesting. They could do other things. Victoria was good. Trish was pretty good. Um, it just seemed like it could work. It just, it just didn't get there. And uh, that's all right. I mean, it's th th this generation of women just had a really uphill battle here to make something worthwhile. Uh, and since then, they've obviously succeeded as we talk about all the time on the show. So. Uh, we go from Victoria's uh, victory, uh, which should have all the things she said playing over it. And we see Booker T backstage. He's psyching himself up for the Elimination Chamber. And Brian, that mostly means looking at his palm and shaking his head or nodding at it kind of thing. As he's about to do, like he's about to unleash a spinneroonie. He's constantly doing that. Yeah. I, you know, I never thought about, like, he's constantly nodding or shaking his head. And he's essentially saying, yes, yes, yes. No, no. Yeah. I never thought about that. He's like actually kind of living out his uh, theme song. Uh, great theme song, by the way. So, uh, we were told uh, by the uh, by our announcers here. They were told that Madison Square Garden was sold out, um, and this was actually. It turns out this was a record gate for Madison Square Garden at the time. They made one point two five million dollars, which is the most for a non WrestleMania event, according to the Wrestling Observer. Wow, so this, this is a big amazing. night for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they couldn't. Have, I mean, they, as as successful as they could have been in uh, in person is what they had today. So it was good. And then, so this is you're gonna love this, Brian. We're backstage with Coach, and Coach is interviewing Eric Bischoff in front of an Xbox blimp because it's 2002, folks. <laughs> Incredibly 2002 thing to say. Um, and so he brags about making the Elimination Chamber and how he has outdone Stephanie. And then suddenly, Big Show is behind him. He's behind Eric Bischoff. He says hi. He says hi, stranger. Uh, and then he goes, you know, you made a big mistake trading me. Um, Did he but, though? But yeah, but Big Show, do you remember? Don't you remember the return that Bischoff got from that? Uh, oh wait, we have no idea. And <laughs> and this was this is weirdly like kind of a bit of continuity because you know there was another pay per view uh, where Big Show and Bischoff had like a, they had a whole tussle, uh, might have been last month if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, so they're like going right back to that, which is just such a funny thing to do. Big Show's like, look what I did, and it's like you just threw Undertaker off a of stage and then like demanded a match and you got it. Like it's not impressive, Big Show. And then so we he go. Did nothing. Big Show, did, Big nothing. Show did nothing to deserve this title shot. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah, you uh, you huffed and puffed your way and all that sort of thing. Um, so uh, then we see Brock Lesnar's back tattoo undulating as he prepares for the match. And Brock uh, Brock looks over at Paul Heyman and he says, uh, "He says, are, are you nervous?" <clears throat> and so Paul Heyman, while he's holding the WWE title, he says, "I am nervous because of the Big Show and." how bad uh, the shape is that Brock is in after his injury. He said that Brock was even spitting up blood that week. And then he adds at the end, I will do everything in my power to make sure my client leaves here tonight, the WWE champion. Ooh, who does he mean? Subtle. And of course, in the moment, we're like, oh, of course, my, cli my client, you mean Brock Lesnar. But as we come to see, he does not, in fact, mean Brock Lesnar. So... I also like the idea that Brock notices Paul's nervous, right? And Paul tries to cover by, you know, do all his bravado of like, I am nervous because of the big show and your shape you're in. Um, but he's actually like, maybe Paul Heyman is probably lying. He's just nervous about his plans for the night, right? Like he, he's actually, that fits in character with what he would actually be feeling, which makes sense. And so 
we go to Brock Lesnar versus The Big Show for the WWE title. Um, and Brian, the, the the video package for this match starts 53 minutes into a two-hour, 45-minute show. This is pretty early for a match like this, right? Well, you would think so, but then when you realize that the Elimination Chamber took about 60 minutes, um, it makes sense. Why not have us just before the Chamber match? That's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know. Why, I don't know what the logic not? is for, like... I, I don't Because they... They seemingly have these rules for like, oh, we want to cool the crowd down or we don't want them to kind of... It's like, I mean, they're going to be hyped for this match anyway. They were hyped here. Uh, and they're going to be hyped for the chamber match. Like, so so what happens? Like, what? Like, just kind of space... Make, make it so short, cool. maybe? I don't know. Yeah, that'd be the other thing, too. It is quite short, right? Um, and so, uh, video package... We see a video package. It runs through Brock Lesnar, uh, Brock Lesnar's victory at No Mercy in the Hell in a Cell match against The Undertaker. And then Big Show promptly tossing Undertaker off of the ramp on SmackDown. And uh, once again, we hear Big Show and Paul Heyman both say that Brock Lesnar can't beat Big Show, that Brock gets thrown through announce tables, getting generally beat up. <laughs> uh, I remind you, they, they, they say that Brock Lesnar has a broken rib here, and that's actually true. He actually did have a broken rib. Oh, really? Point. Yeah, he's going to rehab it after the match. Um, and so they built it in, which makes sense. But it's also crazy because what Brock Lesnar does in this match, having a broken rib, is wild. Like, I can't believe he does that, uh, what he does. And you'll hear about it. Um, and so we see Brock Lesnar destroy Big Show from the end of the most recent SmackDown. And uh, the chair shot Brock hits Big Show with on the top of his head is shown like six times at least. It's like, boom, headshot, 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 headshot. I'm sure you enjoyed that, Brian. Must have. Well, um, I mean, it was pretty vicious. It is pretty yeah, vicious. Vicious, like Sid Vicious, like when he won the title at uh, Sorry, Series 96. Exactly. Um, there you go. Just remembering that. Um and so then we hear the world, it's the Big Show, and out comes Big Show wearing big black jeans, black now, shoes, and the top. Here we go, Matt. The last time I saw the Big Show, he was wearing his um, awkwardly tight, ill-fitting singlet. Um, so how how soon did he go to this horrible jeans and wife beater look? Well, would you believe me if I told you there was a look in between? Well, I, I never mistrust you, Matt, so perhaps okay. I do believe you. Yeah, so no, this... His early weeks in SmackDown, he's just like, he's desperately searching for a look. So he wears the singlet the week that you saw it. And the next week, he's wearing pants, shoes, and a black t shirt. Like he's, he's in fully in street clothes, and they don't even mention it. And then the next week, <clears> it's <throat> like he, drink, draw, he doesn't have the shirt, he's just wearing the singlet. It's like, what are you doing? I actually <laughs> I saw someone online just call him Trucker Big Show because that's like what a trucker <laughs> looks like. Um, yeah. Now, at this point, uh, Dave Meltzer in 2002 described Big Show as the laziest wrestler on their roster. Wow, that's that's saying something. Was Kevin I, Nash on the roster at this point? I guess not. I th- certainly not. But I think like I think the idea was just like Big Show didn't even work out, right? Like I think that, that was the fear. Oh, he's like, big, but he's clearly. not getting shape. Yeah. What well, you think he's in he bad shape? Here, right? He looks terrible. <laughs> I can't I said, believe how bad he looks. I sent you a picture earlier today, uh, like a crowd shot of uh, him from the end of this match. He just looks like so bad, so terrible. Gosh. <laughs> just sweaty he and looks large. Awful. Just, just terrible. He looks like the antithesis of a champion. Yeah, he gets some in in ring pyro when he comes in, like he's like he's heartbreak kid, like Shawn Michaels. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. an odd choice. Okay. And so Big Show has Big Show has this really big bandage on his forearm, um, which I never noticed before. But after that episode of SmackDown, he needs it because, um, and I don't know if you've seen this, Brian, but I mentioned it last week on the show. Uh, Brock Lesnar knocks him into the stairs, and the moment he knocks him into the stairs, uh, he actually punctures part of his forearm, and his his forearm just starts to like pour blood. 
Because he hit the really? stairs in such an awkward manner. Yeah, it's like gross. It's to- you see him hit the stairs, grab his arm, and then when they cut back to him at one point, he looks and there's just blood pouring out of his arm, which is crazy also because he blades later that like in that same segment. So he's just got he blood, is. real blood from his arm, obviously real from his forehead, but it's a blade, and it's, so it's just wild. So he's got a big, that's why he has a big bandage on his forearm here at Survivor Series 2002. <clears> and uh, Brock Lesnar's music starts, and as soon as it does, the crowd is hot for him. And he comes out, he's got his belt on, uh, he's out with Paul Heyman. He looks like a champion. He looks fantastic. 100%. Taz just says, that's a bad, bad, bad man, Cole, which is good, man. Taz had a good lock on, like, how to describe Brock Lesnar. Like, he really made it seem like Brock Lesnar was a legit guy. Yeah, Taz had a good night tonight, by the way, too. He was he was on, he was on fire. Like he does a good job. Thing. Yeah, he did, this is an awesome one, so... It's it's funny to look at the WWE title, which is the formerly undisputed title, and uh, remember that that was actually a larger version of that belt because it was like mm-hmm. when Triple H first said it was smaller, and now imagine how small it would look on Brock Lesnar or even Big Show. Like that, it, it would look so tiny on them if they didn't make it bigger. Oh, totally, totally. It'd be crazy. So we start the match. This is a match where it's short enough that I can like truly go almost blow for blow, <laughs> like describe it. <laughs> yeah. So. Immediately when Brock gets in the ring, he goes face to face with Big Show, who pushes him, and they lock up, and they get uh, into a shoulder level tie up uh, as the bell rings. It's a stalemate, and they lock up again and again. It's a stalemate. So Big Show pushes Brock into the turnbuckle, then hip tosses him into the center of the ring, and Brock goes flying because Brock has greatly uh, great jumping height and uh, is super athletic and is awesome. And so Brock goes to the other corner. And Big Show poses, but then Brock spears him down. And he really like he, it just seems like he's like spearing down like a whale or an elephant or something like that. Like he really knocks him down with a lot of uh, a lot of force. And uh, they go outside, and Brock uh, tries to do something, but Big Show grabs him and he, he drives him rib first into the steel post, and then he tosses him back in. And so Brock gets some strikes him, and then he counters a Big Show swing into a back suplex. But Big Show doesn't really get far off his feet, but he just kind of like he just kind of like lifts him a little bit and dumps him. Like it's not a very impressive uh, move just yet. But then, Brock gets some Germans in the, uh, some shoulders in the corner, rather. And then the other corner, Big Show swings at him, and then he, but he gets turned around. Brock grabs a waist lock, and he German suplexes the Big Show. Incredible! That it's incredible. Crazy. I was so worried for his neck, man. Like he yeah. could land on that bad boy. It was so the crazy. The Big Show could bump, though. I'll give him that. He always he could always bump really he, well for his size. He does, he does a really good job here. Um, in, in being a, a big dude who just takes stuff. So Brock goes for the F5, but Big Show gets out of it. Kind of an easy thing on Brock. like, ah, I don't have the strength for it, or I'm kind of weak here. And So Brock charges Big Show, but Big Show dodges, and out goes Mike Kyoto, our referee, who is now bumped three minutes into a match. Uh, and this is a short match, but it's kind of it's truly crazy that the referee is bumped that early on. It's like, okay, what? this is already an accelerated pace for this match. And so... Brock grabs Big Show, and I think even more impressive than the German suplex is what he does here. He hits his belly-to-belly suplex on Big Show, and Big Show lands and bounces off the canvas. Like, all his weight is just, it's so crazy how, like, high he bounces off the ground after getting knocked over by Big Show, uh, by Brock. It's so good. So, Paul Heyman, uh, at that point, after the uh, belly-to-belly, he tosses the chair in the ring, and uh, Brock goes to grab it, but Big Show grabs uh, by the neck instead, so Brock kicks him in the crotch. Uh, and so he grabs a chair and he swings it at Big Show, but Big Show just punches it. And so Brock just tries again and he hits Big Show right on top of the head. And then it happens. Brock picks up Big Show and he hits him with the F5 
hooks him over his head. He flips him over, and the crowd goes completely wild. And Big Show hits the ground like a ton of bricks. It's just unbelievable. And I still love seeing this, too. It's very satisfying every time. Understandably. Again, the Big Show is very good for going up for big moves. Like, he went up for a jackhammer for Goldberg. Like, for a oh, big right. guy, he'll go up there, and he'll he'll sell moves. He even took a power bomb for Kevin Nash. Man, he'll do oh, it. Man. Oh, I'll run on his neck, but still. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so Brock covers Big Show, but there's no ref. But actually, as soon as Brock is on top of Big Show, we see from behind them, referee Mike Sparks is bursting out of the double screen walls, and he runs down to the ring to count the pinfall. Uh, and so it's one, two, but all of a sudden, Paul Heyman pulls out the ref, and he decks him. And officially, Paul Heyman has turned on Brock Lesnar. He is no longer... betrayal. Shocking betrayal. Which had a lot leading, a lot of uh, foreshadowing leading up to it. But at the time, it was still like, whoa, I can't believe that. And so Brock realizes what happens, and Paul looks shocked. So Brock chases him, and Paul does the kind of the classic thing of, well, he runs in the ring, and so the guy who's already in the ring uh, interf- intercepts him, essentially. So uh, Brock gets a, ri- uh, a chair to the ribs from Big Show. He smacks him on the back, and then Big Show puts the chair on the ring, or sorry, on the canvas, and he gets. Brock Lesnar around the neck and he choke slams him on the steel chair. Have to imagine that would hurt because I don't know how you that doesn't hurt you. And Mike Kyoto, our first referee, crawls back in, counts the one, two, and three, giving Big Show the WWE title in our third title change in three matches. Wow. What do you think about that, Matt? Big Show, WWE champion. How do you feel? I'd be interested to see what I thought back then. Because I mean, right now I'm like, well, he's transitional. Like he's just he's just the right guy at the right time to be there and do it. Um, Big Show's never really had a good title reign sort of thing. Um, I I never really bought him as a serious contender to Brock Lesnar um, just because they said he was, but it's like, that guy, didn't he get beat by, like, Rico and Booker T and stuff like that? Like, this guy is not a senior. <laughs> Wasn't he not a mid-carder, Rico. like, two months ago? Yeah, tr- like, truly a mid-carder, too. Like, not even close. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, also, that match is four minutes and 23 seconds long. That's what I'm saying. Like, what a short title match. I mean, I, I respect that they want to keep it short given the people involved, but, um, you know, I think they could have at least had a 10-minute match. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the... the I mean, they, they, this this show has some timing issues, which we'll talk about at length. Like, I'm not sure exactly what they wanted to do. I think it kind of got the job done. In some ways, it's almost a like a prototype of the old... Uh, the future Brock Lesnar matches where Brock Lesnar is going to get in there for five minutes and he's either going to get three F5s and win or he's going to get ten finishers from the other guy and lose. Um, he's done that a few times at this point. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Big Show Big Show wins and Paul Heyman leaps into Big Show's arms. They grab the belt and Paul Heyman is, like, dragging Big Show out of the ring. He's trying to leave the uh, the ringside area entirely. Then we go to the back. We see Paul Heyman and Big Show jump into a limo and they take off into the night, which is a nice detail there, essentially just being like, Paul Heyman does not want to leave anything to chance. He's going to win the title with Big Show and drive the hell out of there. And they do. Get out. They get out. And Michael Cole and Taz, they reckon with the sequence of events at the announce table. And Michael Cole is wearing a leather jacket and a black turtleneck like he's a narcotics detective in 1970s New York. I don't know what he's going for here. Oh, he's, he looks so bad. Like, I don't know, man. This he is looks terrible. Pretty. He looks like he was trying to be somebody he's not. So, yeah, three title matches, three... Uh, Three title changes. Sorry, three title matches, three title changes. I said three chi- changes in three matches, uh, but it's actually been four matches because the uh, other one was the uh, tables match to start the night. Uh, and then so we get into the the Ray 
Oh, sorry. <clears throat> the Rey Mysterio and Edge versus Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero versus Kurt Angle. Chris <laughs> it's a triple threat elimination match for the WWE Tag Team titles. Michael Cole and Taz, uh, they say the champions don't have an advantage in this match, um, which is what? usually one of they. I know they. That's what you say in like a triple what threat match. You're like, oh, a triple threat match, but like that's not true in an elimination match. Like, if anything, the champions have the advantage of not having to be in their ring to get rid of one of the teams. So I don't know. I don't know what they're getting at there. Um, so for the purpose of this podcast, I'll point out this is the last match of the night for us technically, and we're gonna cover the, the elimination chamber too. Yeah, this is the main event right here. This is, yeah, uh, this tag match here. This is our fifth of six matches. I mean, having six matches at a Survivor Series is also crazy. They would never do that now. Um, yeah. We're also starting this match at like just an hour into the show. Like this, is, like the Elimination Chamber is a long sequence. And so uh, the video package uh, that we see takes us through the history of the titles up to this point, which was all 28 days long of the titles. Which... <laughs> a month. A month yeah. of glorious history. Exactly. So we see the, the tournament final last month. We see the Benoit Angle feud. Uh, the two out of three falls match where Ray and Edge won the title. And we see Stephanie making this match as well. And really, like, the video package really just kind of drives home. This should be a four-and-a-half-star match, and it's just not, which is too bad. No, it isn't. That's yeah. interesting to talk about. Like, and you would think, especially after the No Mercy uh, classic, that this would be, you know, five-star material. But it really, it fell flat for me. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think it's just kind of universally people are just like, yeah, it just didn't hit the thing. I think part of it is just the... Um, the match setup itself, the fact that it is a, uh, it's an elimination match. It's, it's, it's three tag teams. It's not a very natural thing. Hard to tell a story as well. And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy that it worked out that way. Now, after the video pack, we don't go right to the match because we see Al Wilson and Don Marie in the crowd. And uh, underneath, we see the text, Engaged to be married, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and uh, Taz and Michael Cole do the little, like, look at Al. Look at Dawn. Look at Al. Look at Dawn. And it's, it was funny to me. I like this little bit. I love the idea that this is a dumb storyline being randomly threaded into a match from the same show. That just like that, of course, Al Wilson and Don Marie are here at dating and at this match because this is like this is like the marquee sort of thing you could do if you were associated with SmackDown. It's like, ooh, we're gonna be in the crowd for that match. It's gonna be a good one. It's like getting Super Bowl tickets or something. I just love that idea. Um, they should do that more. I, this should just be more like backstage stuff where they're talking about other matches that happened on the show. I think it'd be worthwhile. Like having a couple fight because they look one guy like the guy who won, one guy like the guy who lost. I don't know. It makes sense. So people come out. We see everybody coming out. And Eddie and Chavo are both wearing tights that are they're different, but they're both black, uh, purple, and yellow or black, purple, and gold. Um, Eddie's tights are black with gold colors and purple, and uh, Chavo's are gold with purple and black. Anyway, they're different, but they're also very similar color wise, which is very neat. I enjoy that. Um, and then Kurt Angle comes out and he gets uh, a very loud, you suck chance as per usual. And uh, he also gets a very cool pyro from the pyro stage um, that we talked pyro about. He extends his fingers in the air. It looks very cool uh, in the background there. So then we see Edge come out. Edge uh, has the WWE tag team on his waist. It's so good. It's, br- it's bright cold. It's a beautiful belt. And uh, let me see Rey Mysterio's music starts. And Madison Square Garden goes dark, except for there are a ton of spotlights over by the pyro stage. And that's where Ray pops out of it because, you know, he can't do it at the entrance because there's no room for it otherwise. And so he walks through the crowd to get to the ring. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's funny. The pyro stage is, like, used randomly all the time. So here it is. This is the SmackDown 6 match, the all SmackDown 6 match. And, like, it should really be a crowning match this podcast, which is just too bad. 
Uh, but this should be like this is probably the only time that this will happen. Let's not undersell this. Like this may be the only time that we'll see all six in one match. They break apart otherwise, right? There's all sorts of different feuds and things they get into, and there's still lots of good stuff ahead in the SmackDown Six podcast. But there isn't another match that kind of encapsulates the whole thing so well. So, yeah, we're a little bit. Um, I think we're less than a quarter to our run here. We're at an interesting point in the SmackDown Six podcast. So, do you say we're a quarter of the way through the run? A little bit less. A little bit less. We're getting there though. The run is not eternal, Brian. We're this. This is a, a well, limited I run. I know you're going to continue into 2004 with the JBL era, but. Could you imagine? That's a topic for another time. Every week it's just me like calling a suicide hotline, being like, I might do it. I don't want to talk about JBL anymore. <laughs> I can't do it. Some guy on the phone's like, no, 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 but remember he loses the title eventually. It's like it's it's the next year of WrestleMania. Come remember, on. Remember, he has the chief of staff. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. He uh he's he, he spills champagne all over that uh that uh whatever name. <laughs> Someone Weber. What is their name? What? We watched a show recently where uh, JBL poured champagne all over a girl uh, who was part of his entourage. Oh, yeah. What was that girl's name? I don't remember. Amy Weber. There we go. Amy Weber. What show was that? What did we just watch? Rumble 2005. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, there we go. That's it. Yeah, it's towards the end of his illustrious reign there. But anyway. Illustrious reign. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) So, so... uh, so yeah, so Benoit and Ray start the match, and they chop each other up uh, before Ray gets a Hurricane Rana. And so the rules are kind of laid out to us here. It's it's a triple threat tag team match, which means you can tag anybody. There's only two guys allowed in the ring at once. I think it would make more sense for it to be three guys in the ring at once, but that's fine. It would make a lot more sense. I would love yeah. that. That's how it would work, essentially. Just like constantly having to re-figure out a triple threat match. Um, so Ray knocks Benoit into the turnbuckle in the corner. He tags an edge, and they do this double-team arm drag, again, from No Mercy, very similar move. And Edge takes the advantage. When you were a tag team, of course, you could do the double arm drag, or you could also do uh, the 3D. And it's like, who on earth would pick the arm drag? Let's do the 3D. It's sick. Um, which is always fun. Two creative wrestlers just randomly doing the 3D um, when they're like small. It's also very fun in that game. So Edge takes the advantage uh, back in real life, back in 2002. And so, <laughs> so Benoit ends up, he tags an angle, and they tussle before Angle gets knocked by Chavo Guerrero. He gets, Chavo essentially hits him. And the referee is like, okay, well, you just tagged into the match. That's how that works. And so Chavo's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you hit him. And he's, you're, you, you ta- tag in a guy. That's how it counts. So, so he comes after uh, Edge, uh, but he gets drop kicked before Ray Mysterio comes in. And Chavo tags in his uncle Eddie. And they beat up on Ray. And, uh, you know, the, the, obviously stra- the obvious strategy for this part of the match, I got to say, is just to tag the other tag team. Like, if you're Eddie, don't tag in Chavo. Check the other guy. Like, don't ever go to your own team. Like, let's, let's get out of the ring as much as possible here. We can't yeah, the lose the psychology if, of we, this particular match. Always, it's always kind of been interesting to me. Yeah, but I don't know who. Who do you tag? What works who, best? The problem, you know, it's probably just something you shouldn't do. Where you set up a match where the the winning strategy is to like just not not play. Um, which exactly. Which is what is that from? Uh, from the what is the movie War Games right with Matthew Broderick? The only way to win is not to play or something Quite like that. Possibly. Quite possibly. I'm not mistaken. Um, so Eddie tags in Kurt Angle. Uh, he goes up against Ray. And so Michael Cole says that Ray uh, has given Angle fits recently. Um, really, though? Well, exactly. That's, that's what I was going to say, which is funny. It's like he beat Ray twice on television since then. Like he beat him on Survivor Series and sorry, SummerSlam. And then again, a few weeks later. So, um, you know, they've had some tag team, uh, atta- you know, attachments to each other. But uh, otherwise, he's, there's no fits being given by Ray Mysterio. Kurt Angle sort of has his number. And... Uh, Ray knocks Kurt Angle into the corner, and then a, something that is a little bit inevitable happened here, 
which is they go for a spot that they've done a few times, and Ray just doesn't land it right away. So usually what happens in the spot is Ray charges towards Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle f- pops him up in the air, and Ray Mysterio lands on the top rope with no use of his hands. He just kind of floats up there and stands there and then hits a moonsault. Um, right. Uh, now this time, uh, he tosses him. Ray seemingly doesn't go far enough. He bou- awkwardly bounces off the top rope and then flips and lands on his head and neck, which does not look fun at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Angle drops Ray and he tags in Benoit. And then Michael Cole points out that Benoit is working on Ray's neck since he fell awkwardly on it. And I just, I appreciate that's some good improv from Michael Cole, even though that was clearly a botched move. It's like, yeah, you just make it part of the match. Yeah, I like that. I like that commentary. I never thought that botches necessarily had to be like um, such a big deal. Like you would think in the, in kayfabe, like you would mess up a, a move every once in a while. So right. I, I like the way Cole covered that. Exactly. Like, I mean, you, there's interceptions and fumbles in football, right? Like, you wouldn't be exactly. like, oh, he didn't get all of it. It's like, no, he intercepted him. It's fine. So uh, Kurt Angle gets tagged back in, and he drops Ray with a back suplex. And hits a clothesline. He goes for an angle slam, but Ray counters out of it. And then uh, Benoit comes in. He tags. Uh, sorry, Benoit gets tagged in, and then uh, suplexes Ray. And, uh, again, I feel like the crowd is dead for this match, Brian. Like, does no one in New York watch that? It was. It was. And it, it's interesting because it's, it's Madison Square Garden, you know, which is considerably – or traditionally known as like the toughest crowd in, yeah. you know, WWE. But this is the type of match that you think they'd really be into. Like anyone would be dead for Kidman versus Jamie Noble, no offense. But I was surprised how little the crowd was into this match. What do you think was the the, um, the reasoning behind that? I think it's the concept, right? I think the concept's a little just too hard to get behind. There's no clear kind of rooting interest. And uh, the other thing too is, you know, two thirds of the team are heels, and they're all kind of likable heels too, right? Like it's all like the Benoit and Guerrero and Angle and even Chavo. Like those are all likable guys. But I think it's just there's just a not as clear rooting pattern here, which is too bad. Or and no one. Matt, were there were there not enough edgeheads in the uh, the Garden crowd tonight to to make this happen? I saw so many members of the Edge Army, Brian. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I thought they were oh, just man. I was littered there. It was just everyone. It just the crowd was clearly reeking of awesomeness. So I don't, I don't get what was going on at this point. So, um, even if they are stupid losers, as we'll hear later on. So, Kurt Angle. Indeed, can't wait. I'd pop you with that moment. That you know, Brian. Let's be honest. That's the main event of the podcast tonight. For me, it certainly is. Yeah. uh... What happens after this match? Okay. Back (laughs) back to this this match of like that should be the most important match of the entire podcast, but it's not. So Kurt Angle goes for a front face lock, and we have this, it's actually a rest hold in the middle of a six man multi tag match. I don't really get that. Um, I guess it works Ray down or works it works it makes him weaker. Sure. So they get to their feet, and uh, Rey Mysterio escapes a suplex, and then escapes a German suplex by flipping out of it again, no mercy style. Great counter in that game, and then he hits Angle with a spinning heel kick. And so here we go. This is something that I liked here. So uh, Kurt Angle crawls over to the Guerreros, who. Um, both drop down out of the ring to avoid getting tagged. And uh, they, call, they consider that good strategy, right? Because the idea of, like, well, you don't want to tag in Kurt Angle. Like, why help him out? Let him let him die there for all you care. And so they do exactly that. The, the cowardly Guerreros make a good strategic decision. And so Edge and Benoit get tagged in, and Edge runs wild. Hits a belly-to-belly on Angle. He tosses Chavo. Eddie goes after Ray for a power bomb, but he, he essentially runs to the ropes and gets Hurricane Runner right out for a pretty good reaction. It's look cool. And then... Uh, Edge lines up a spear, but uh, and he's kind of he's facing both Angle and Benoit. They're both in there, but Angle uh, hits his drop toe hold on Edge, and Edge goes into a cross face and an ankle lock all at once. Love that. There, yeah. were, some, there were some good spots in this match, and that was one of them. 
Yeah. yeah. So Michael Cole asks how Edge can't tap out. And like, I, I feel like they should have broken the spot up a little quicker, though, because it's like, you know, one of those should like really hurt you and both of them should kill you. Like, you should not feel. Well, yes, theoretically. Um, now, that said, Rey Mysterio springboards in with a cent on Kurt and then quickly drops. Oh, that was great. That was great, too. It was really oh, good. I love that. Like, it was kind of like the, the, the vibe of it was like, Rey Mysterio is like, oh, I'm going to break it up. And immediately he's like, boom, boom. Like, just like two very quick things to be like, I got to fix this, which he did. Good for him. Um, like, I think some of the best, like, matches, especially the tag team matches in this part, have been, like, when a tag team has to try to, like, reckon with Rey Mysterio just being, like, an aerial assault. It's just, like, these guys are used to, like, being, like, army versus army, and then all of a sudden there's an air force involved. That's essentially what happens. You're just, like, oh, <laughs> that was perfect. That was a, that was a wonderful, wonderful uh, metaphor there, Matt. Good work. Well, thank you. Uh, but, yeah, just what it's like. And so Ray does such a good job with it. Uh, and so Angle goes out on the floor with Chavo, and uh, Ray hits a, a rolling slash kind of flipping plancha onto both of them. And um, Benoit gets edge in a German suplex, and he hits one, and then he, he goes for another one. And this is a spot that I'm trying to make sense of, Brian, and I'll see if I can describe it well. So Benoit has Angle, uh, sorry, Benoit has edge in a German suplex. He's going to in a waist lock. He's ready to hit him with another German suplex. And then from the top rope, Eddie jumps in, um, just like, uh, gosh, what am I going to just like um, <laughs> you know who I'm trying to reference right now. What was okay, Mark WCW? Say again. Mark Marrow and WCW. What was the name again? Oh come on, Matt! I'm disappointed in you. I know you are, but my I, I, I'll, I'll I'll do it for you. If you yes. don't want to end up sad, don't mess with Johnny. Be bad. I'm so there sorry. There you go. Johnny, be bad. Just like Johnny, be bad. Eddie Guerrero launches from the top rope for a sunset flip, and so he essentially he he you know he not he. Gets Benoit on the sunset flip, so Benoit goes backwards, but that also means he German suplexes Edge. Um, and so Benoit, so he kind of covers both. And because so Brian Hebner, our referee in this match, he counts a two count, even though, so I guess in three, uh, Eddie is covering Edge and Benoit, but by law of this match, one of those guys is not tagged in. So why is Hebner counting this at all? I don't know. Because either like that, I really don't know. Because either Guerrero is doing something and he shouldn't be getting a pinfall, or anyway, it's just totally random. I, I, I get why they want to do a cool spot, but it doesn't make sense that Hebner counts it. And he should know better. Well, so he's the son of the head referee, perhaps the greatest referee of all time. How dare he make that mistake? How dare he? Uh, so Benoit gets more Germans and he goes for a, a headbutt on Edge, but Eddie hits a frog splash first, and so Benoit he goes whatever, who cares? And so he hits up, he breaks up the imp- the ensuing pin with a headbutt. And I don't know why it's an elimination match. I mean, this is Benoit maybe not being the most strategic guy here. Um, and at this point, the match is fully broken down. Like, it's just there's no tagging in place happening. Um, Kurt Angle comes in. He angle slams Eddie. He gets an ankle lock on him as well. And Benoit has Edge in the cross face. But Chavo runs in with the belts, and he hits Edge with it. When he has I love belt. that. I love um, a good belt shot. Or that sorry, no, he, he doesn't hit Edge. He hits, uh, he hits Benoit in the cross face. It is a good belt right. shot. Chavo, Chavo's doing some great belt shots on this podcast, I'll tell you. Uh, it's not as the last one of the podcast either. And so he, uh, so Chavo runs into Angle, and then Chavo tosses the championship to him. Michael Cole calls that. He calls the belt a championship. Dumb. Yeah. How the, much the do chip- you hate that? Well, it's just like, it's, what are we talking about here? It's like, it's like the championship is like a concept almost. And the yes, belt represents. right? Yeah. He's not tossing the that. lineage of that ma- of that belt to him. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, just call it a belt. Like, the other thing, too, I don't get it. It's just like, they are belts, and you want belts. Like, I, I don't get, like, why not call them belts so you can sell more belts, of all things? Anyway, 
Let's rant about They're that. They're championships, Matt. They sell They're championships. They do. So uh, this is used by uh, by Chavo to try to frame angles so that when Benoit sees him with the belt, he will uh, he will assume he does it, even though it doesn't make any sense. Because um, why would ben, why would Angle take that opportunity to hit him with the belt and lose the match for him? But it still leads to Benoit blaming Angle and arguing with them until they get dropkicked by Rey Mysterio. And then so uh, Ray takes Chavo out with a head scissors outside. And then back in, Edge hits Benoit with a spear, and he gets the one, two, and three to eliminate Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle from this match. Um, now that said, uh, Kurt Angle comes in the ring all the same. He hits a German suplex, and so does Benoit. Benoit suplexes Chavo, and then Edge gets Angle slammed. So even in defeat, um, because they because they fought each other, um, they, they got rid of the other guys in the match, even though they argue as they leave. So they really they go in a wreck house a little bit after getting uh, cleanly eliminated from that match. So Eddie tries to get a, a pin from Edge after the onslaught attack from those uh, the departing tag team. Uh, that just gets two. And so he suplexes Edge, and he tags in Chavo. Eddie and Chavo, they tag back and forth. Eddie leaps onto Edge to get a sleeper hold on him, and Chavo comes in. He he he, uh, he gets in. And then Eddie chokes Edge in the corner. Um, you know, Edge's Edge is barely out of the corner uh, until Eddie hits a side suplex on Edge close to the middle of the ring there. Um, but then finally, Edge hits a double flag drive on the Guerreros uh, after that lengthy segment of double teaming. And Ray gets the tag. He gets a leaping crossbody on Chavo. I believe it was a springboard, if I'm not mistaken. Very cool little move. And then uh, Ray gets on Chavo's shoulders, and uh, Eddie tosses him, <laughs> but. Uh, but it just essentially makes Ray hit Chavo with a Hurricane Rana, which is kind of a funny move there. So um, it's like Eddie kind of like forced a Hurricane Rana from Ray onto um, Chavo. So Edge hits both guys with a spear in the corner. And then uh, Ray hits a drop kick in the corner as well. And then Edge and Ray do their tossing Hurricane Rana from the top rope, which is the kind of thing where, you know, essentially it's the other move where Ray gets tossed into the corner. Only this one is with Edge on purpose. And they get the Hurricane Rana. And so that gets two on Eddie. Uh, which Chavo breaks up. And uh, Edge tosses Eddie onto the second rope. Uh, and Eddie gets hit with a 619. Uh, but when Ray goes up for the West Coast pop, Chavo once again uses the quote again championship to hit Ray Mysterio in the back, who flomps down. And then Edge baseball slides Chavo uh, and follows him out of the ring to beat him up. But that just lets Eddie get the last of him El Paso on that softened back of Ray. And Ray taps <laughs> out. He taps out to give the Guerreros. The WWE Tag Team Titles, uh, and I'm just gonna say, Edge, Edge, why did you, why did you chase him out? Why did you chase out Chavo out, man? Like, use your head. You don't have to fight Chavo. Edge is an idiot, and I, I love the idea of a real tag team winning the titles. Because let's be honest, Angle and Benoit are not a real tag team. Edge and Rey Mysterio are not a real tag team. Los Guerreros, they're a real tag team. They got similar tights. They have a relationship. I like that. Give tag team titles to tag teams. Yeah, I, I I don't mind an occasional uh, single, a couple singles guys getting together and doing something special with it. But uh, but I get what you mean. I get I get it. I mean for the purposes. I mean occasional. I really am a, a proponent of giving the tag titles to tag teams. Let's build yeah. up tag teams. I mean, when they did the tournament for it last month, the only other tag team that was a true tag team was Billy and Chuck. Which is hilarious. <laughs> which I also like. I right. Love those guys. But they got eliminated in the first round. They were dispatched Terrible. with ease. They were dispatched with ease. <laughs> they were. I, I believe. I believe the uh, it was uh, Ron Simmons and Devon tagging together for no reason particular. Why were they tagging together, Matt? Ron I don't Simmons know. And yeah, was uh, was Teddy Long involved? No, he wasn't. Weirdly. Um, R.I.P. Butch Reed, by the way. R.I.P. Butch Simmons. Reed of Doom. That's right. At this time of the recording, we're close to Butch Reed's passing, and I, I had to be reminded by Brian, of course, that I've seen Butch Reed wrestle as a member of Doom. He looked good. Too bad. Great. 
It's a Love piece. Butch Reed. Butch Reed, man. Um, and so the uh, so it's our fourth of four title changes tonight. Four matches with four titles uh, up for grabs, and all four have changed hands. Um, and it's also this is the third set of champions this title has had in 28 days of existence. Brian, is that too many? I think that's unquestionably too many. Yeah, just like just really flopping it around. Uh, even though I like it, I don't mind these guys winning matches against each other. It's like yeah. Now. The Guerreros barely have a chance to celebrate because we have to cut pretty quickly to Kane backstage who's doing some wall push-ups. Uh, which some is wall push-ups. Yeah, he's got his hand on there. He does that there. I mean, not the most... Uh, not using much of gravity there to get, get the, the kind of the right amount of exertion to get a little bit of sweat going, Chain Kane. But you know what? You know more about fitness than I do, apparently. Um, I think you also know more about insurance and libertarianism and being the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> Unquestionably, he knows more about all those things than you. Um, definitely. Now, would I be a better mayor than him? Probably. I wouldn't. I, would I wouldn't vacillate on whether you can wear a mask and sit. Anyway, whatever. Um, the, the the irony, of course, that that Kane was not pro mask in COVID, even though he wore a mask. Was he but... not? Pro-mask? No. He, initially, it was a whole it was a whole libertarian thing where he was like, I don't want to force people to do stuff, and then it was like, Ah, oh, it's a public health crisis. Maybe smart enough. And he did. So he wore he now he and he just recently came back at Royal Rumble as well. Um, not the most impressive physique at the time, but he looked. Terrible. <laughs> but Terrible. he did have a mask and he had long hair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like the, the Guerreros, like when they when they had their little moment there to celebrate the titles, like it was so quick afterwards. They were like, nope, we have to move on. So I don't know how this night is already running long, but it is. And then, Brian, we hear the well, this is our main event, really. <laughs> we hear the Harvard fight song and outstruts Chris Nowinski. Years before he was the preeminent voice speaking out against the dangers of concussions, he was. The Harvard wrestler here. They might even call him Chris Harvard, I think, the first, when he first came there. They did. Yeah. And so, so he gets Tough to the ring. Graduate. There, there we go. That's what it is. And so he gets to the ring. He says, you know, I'm the only Harvard graduate here, uh, which I would love to see. I wonder if that's true. There's a decent chance he's not. You'd see I somebody. bet there's at least one more Harvard graduate in the that You think a Harvard graduate might bring his son to a wrestling show? It's not that crazy. I mean, Harvard obviously is a pretty prestigious school, but you're, you could have a, a guy whose son likes wrestling, surely. Maybe like an, an executive or something in New York. I could see that happening. Um, and Chris says, yeah, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm intelligent. I'm not street smart. You know, kind of making fun of this idea that New Yorkers have street smarts, whatever that is. And so he does this easy dig at the Yankees. He says intelligence can't be bought, unlike the Yankees who bought their World Series titles. And then he adds that New York has never won in stupidity. Just such oh, a gosh. I know. This is terrible. And then so at that, we hear Matt Hardy's theme song start up. Oh, yeah. And uh, we see some Matt facts show up on the screen. It says Matt keeps the room temperature at a toasty 75 degrees, uh, which would be Fahrenheit. And and for those who uh, subscribe to Celsius like we do, uh, it's 24 degrees Celsius, which would be a very warm uh, temperature to do a room at. Um, Clearly, Matt Hardy does not have to deal with uh, winter. And it also says Matt only drinks low-fat chocolate milk, and low-fat is all one word, and that's not correct. So a little bit of typo in the Matt facts. Um, and so when Matt Hardy's coming out, JR says, you know, I like to watch SmackDown, even if I don't like Matt Hardy's attitude. And I appreciate that JR is telling us he likes to watch JR SmackDown. JR watches SmackDown. Unbelievable. Yeah. Good for him. And so Matt starts off talking to this Chris Nowinski. He says, what the hell are you talking about? New Yorkers aren't stupid. They're losers. Uh, <laughs> I love I, this. I wonder what I was thinking when I first saw this segment. Like, what would you imagine this is happening here? Because it's like it's a pay per view. You don't often get these like in ring raw s segments with people, much less with lower mid carders. No offense to Matt Hardy. No, but truly, right? Like, it's exactly it too. It's like these guys on a position in the card they have no right to occupy, and uh, 
Matt says he was expecting to see the crowd overflowing with Mattitude, but instead they're sucking the Mattitude out of him. Poor guy. And so Matt also dunks on the Knicks. He says, uh, you know, it's a pretty standard heel making fun of a town. As you did earlier. As I did earlier. So there I go. I, I, I am just as uh, bad at this as Matt, Matt Hardy is, dunking on the Knicks. Um, but Chris Wesley says they're stupid. Matt says they're losers. Um, they ask New Yorkers. They say, hey, what's it going to be? Are you guys stupid or losers? And the, the camera cuts to some kids who are like, I don't know. And there's also some typical New Yorker guy who seemed to be wearing a Triple H shirt who was like, hey, I'm not a stupid or a loser. It's like a whole, like, clearly look like he took the, the train in from Queens or something uh, to just complain about that. So Matt Hardy suggests that New Yorkers may be both losers and stupid, and he calls them lupid. <laughs> I love that. It's so dumb. It's, it's just dumb. But I enjoyed it. I really it's, did. It's pure dumb. It's really quite pure. And so... Matt Hardy and Chris Wincy, they raise their arms in victory, having successfully defined the city and made fun of their residents. And as soon as their arms are up in the air, the crowd behind turns around to the screen because they're like, okay, either it's incredibly obvious these guys are going to be interrupted or uh, they heard something behind the screen or something for all we know. And what do they hear, Matt? Well, Brian, they hear sirens. And the, the sirens are followed by, holler, if you hear me! Signed by Scott Steiner and out walks Big Papa Pump from WCW itself. He's wearing chainmail on his head. He's got sunglasses on his face. He's got a bleached and dyed goatee. His arms that are completely insane looking. And he's wearing black tights that feature both a Superman symbol and a 69. Because that's the kind of guy he is. And so Lawler and JR call him all sorts of things. Uh, big Papa Pump, the genetic freak. They might have, were they, did they call him a Big Booty Daddy? I'm trying to remember. Well, he's the gene- he has so many nicknames, which I love. He's Big Papa Pump, which is his primary name. He's yeah. also Freakzilla, the big Freaks. bad booty daddy, and the genetic freak. So I love that. I don't know what, how many they said, but, you know. They got a lot out there. They, they made it seem like, like <laughs> they really made it seem like they were watching a lot of 99 and 2000 WCW, which is not, <laughs> not possible. <laughs> so, uh, Scott Sutter gets in the ring, and so Matt tosses Chris Nowinski at Scott Sutter, who just clotheslines him down. And Matt gets tossed to the belly to belly. Chris gets a T-bone suplex for his trouble. And then he, uh, Steiner gets kind of like a, like a grasping belly to belly, kind of like a throw you, like throw you down on a land on your thing. And the crowd's just going nuts. They're going Steiner, 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 Steiner. Now, Matt, when we watched this live, you were shocked by the crowd reaction. You couldn't believe how over Scott Steiner was in New York. They loved that. him in New York. Who watched them in New York for years? I don't even know. I know, I know he's from Michigan and stuff, but come on. So they, they are. Man. They go after Star quality. Oh, he's got it, man. So Scott Steiner throws Kristen Winsky out like it's a Royal Rumble. just throws him as hard as he can out of the ring. And then he, he grabs Matt Hardy. He gets him on a military press. He does some reps with him. He, like, pumps him in the air there. And then tosses him on the Kristen Winsky. And he drops and he does the push-ups. Is that something that would be common, Brian? He would just do these push-ups? The push-ups is amazing. I, I love it. The push-ups are just great. He often trash talks while doing the push-ups. Um, often in WCW when he would do that, they they would kind of turn down the mic because he would he would uh, scream obscenities at his opponent as he was doing push-ups, which is just just amazing. I love it. Well, I mean, I've never been handed a segue more beautifully than you, Brian. Speaking of screaming obscenities, uh, there's another crime that WWE Network perpetrates here um, after Victoria not getting her music. They edit out the part where Scott Center goes to ropes and yells at the guy at ringside, give me an effing mic. He does say that, yeah. Yeah, but not on the network, sadly. On the network, you don't see it. 
the crowd you, reacts were to it. Were you able though. to track that down online? Like, can we confirm that actually happened? Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Brian, because I, I do know it happened. I have seen it before. But when I was looking for it before, I accidentally found uh, some other Scott Steiner-related things on there. Uh, namely, <laughs> uh, I saw uh, Scott Steiner being interviewed by the local news because he witnessed a uh, a um, an aggressive drive, at, like like two drivers in an attempted murder sort of thing. And he was just like a guy on the street. And uh, just some news reporters like talking to Scott Steiner, who's wearing like uh, you know sunglasses and a hat. And he's just like a normal guy in Georgia. I'm like, hey, yeah, I saw this guy. It was crazy. And this is a good town. This is a good neighborhood. You don't even see this stuff here. Which <laughs> is like crazy. <laughs> and all the and comments on TV, are like, they yeah. say we 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 interviewed a man, a local man who owns a restaurant. That's Scott right. Steiner. <laughs> and all the comments underneath, like, that's not a man. That's the that's the big Papa Pump. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> show him some respect. Which is so it's just so funny that like. The YouTube comment section is people just being absolutely bananas for Scott Steiner. Um, and so when he's handed the microphone, uh, Scott Steiner says, this goes to all my freaks in New York City. Big Papa Pump is your hookup. Holla if you hear me. Which is great. And uh, he also, he adds, I've got the largest arms in the world, Jack. And JR, <laughs> JR kind of breathes. He says, that, that is perverse when looking at Scott Steiner's arms. <laughs> and so, like, Brian, like, watching this, it looks like the world... The sky's the limit for Steiner and WWE is what I look like when I see this. I think the sky was a limit for Scott Steiner and WWE, in my opinion. This is this is, like, I was watching this and I was like, shoot, you know what they should have done? And I, and I wonder if there's a way they could have done it in a good way. Like, they have to give Scott Steiner the 2019-2020 Brock Lesnar matches. They have to give him five-minute matches where he tosses guys around and wins. Yeah, They didn't do that, man. Like, because like, watch. Watching it here, it's like, I want to see this guy suplex people. I want to see him go on a tear. I want to see him be a world champion. I want to see it. It looks cool. People love it, man. He's like, he looks insane. It's perfect. Like, imagine him. Imagine just, like, tossing people, and then he gets to WrestleMania, and he beats Triple H in five minutes. That'd be amazing. Well, the issue is I don't think they did that back then at all with anybody. Because uh -oh. um, Steiner was, he was beat up. He had, so he had quite a bit of injuries, and he was, he was pretty old at that point. He couldn't have a 25-minute match. So, of course, they made him have two 25-minute matches with Triple H and completely killed him. Um, but, you know, that's for another podcast. I just – it, it totally is. And I've just, I've just never realized – watch I, – I saw lost potential. And it was really sad. I was bothered by it because I was like, this guy is – this guy's got the whole world in the palm of his hand. Like, I want to see this guy win titles. Like, what are we doing here? Like, man. Well, they paid him enough. They paid him a ton of money, so he laughed all the way to the bank. But, you yeah. know, still – well, he's at least he's got his his Shoney's restaurant in Ackworth, Georgia. <laughs> he is a Shoney's franchisee. <laughs> I hey, hope I, they did well even in COVID. I hope they're they're weathering oh, storm no. there at Shoney's. I hope he's I hope he's being responsible with all the people who are working there with their masks and everything like that. Please, I I pray. Um, yeah, if if you never looked that up, anybody, uh, Shoney's is like maybe the most generic American family restaurant I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but Scott Snyder owns one. And you can watch a video online of uh, the grand opening of the Ackworth Shoney's, and Scott Steiner's there in a you know a, nice, a shirt and tie. He's got his glass sunglasses on. He's there's a he's got some old wrestling buddies who are doing some autographs behind him at one point. We have we see Nash Jeff Hall. Jarrett, Scott Jeff Hall, Jarrett. Kevin Nash. Like like a genuinely a really good lineup of people. Like I would love to get like a grilled cheese sandwich at Shoney's and then get some freaking WCW. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like you assume they serve a grilled cheese sandwich. I mean you're oh. right, but I love that that's the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Well, just think of like a generic sort of thing. I mean, obviously a cheeseburger. I mean, obviously, obviously. But um, it's almost too bad it's that, it's that specific a franchise. Because imagine, the, uh, imagine the, the, uh, the themed burgers and milkshakes you could do with Scott Steiner, man. That'd be great. 
pulp oh, you know, with like pulled pork on it. You call it the Michigan something, or I don't know. Who knows? Um, there's all sorts of good things. Or, or I guess just protein shakes would make sense. And there's just just tons of just tons of steroid pills in there, and just kind of needle in there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So th- this is I mean this is really the high point of Scott Steiner's uh, later later WWE career, right? Like it doesn't get better for them. I don't know if I agree because I think um, I was doing some research today for this, and Scott Steiner will be appearing on several SmackDowns in the future, uh, and he has some great moments on there. So, okay, you know what? Maybe not. Much more to come from Scott Steiner on the SmackDown Six. Very exciting concept there. Well, we will see if uh, he attains the heights of this this rainy night in New York City, where Big Papa Pump was as big as he could be. And uh, so, yeah, we look outside and we see the, the rain there. And we come back inside. We see Elimination Chamber is lowering at Madison Square Garden. And uh, Jerry Lawler, sorry, not Jerry Lawler, Jim, Jim Ross says this, Brian. He says, it's the brutality of Hell in a Cell, the unpredictability of war games, the tradition of Survivor Series, and the tradition of the world title. So he's trying to wrap all of these things into one match here, including war games, which is very satisfying to see listed there. That's so many things he said. It's just like the three. It's like the biggest things you could have, which is hilarious. Um, you know, like just saying like, "Oh, it was." It's everything. Um, and so, yeah, it's also funny to say the world title has tradition. It's like that. The world title is two and a half months old. Mm, this yeah, not really. I mean, if you want to link it back to the NWA, then perhaps. But you know, no. They really do try to get away with that. I think it's so embarrassing to do that. I mean, it's obviously the same physical belts, but I mean, it's it's just not the same title. It's not, no way. Um, well, I mean, I think they always wanted this. This is completely off topic, but I, I think they just assumed people would accept it as the same belt that Ric Flair had, the same title that, you know, Gene Kaniski and whomever else had. But technically, uh, that's, what, Gotch. that's what Big Show has right now. He's got the, he's got the belt that contains the WCW title. You can't you just remove it from it. It doesn't make any sense. No, he doesn't. The, the, he doesn't have the World Heavyweight title. That's that's different. Yeah, it makes I, no sense, but that's what they want you to think. Yeah, I don't accept it. But anyway, we we go backstage and we see that Terry uh, is chasing you. Know, Alexandra York herself is chasing down Shawn Michaels. Terry? Yeah. Terry Reynolds. Terry Reynolds. She devil. Yeah, it's true. She well, she's she's not so horny here. She's she's horny for the story. She's a journalist. She's she's right. uh, hmm. trying to get trying to get some answers here. She's got she's a deadline. A regular Dan rather. Exactly. That's right. She's gonna lie about a rock, um, or whatever, whatever happened with Dan. Rather, I forget. Um, anyway, she, she runs into Shawn Michaels, who has his his terrible little Bob haircut. He looks like uh, like Little Fawkwad from uh, from Shrek. I guess would be kind of one comparison. Not I would great. use. So um, Terry says, "You know, you said you believe you're gonna win the world title night. Why do you believe that?" And he goes, "Little lady, what a, what a question! What a stupid question, though." <laughs> You said you're gonna win it. Why? It's like oh, I don't know. I'm like I'm thinking I'm gonna win it, but it doesn't matter because it gets interrupted, Brian. Because RNN kicks in. This is the Randy Orton. And so we see Randy Orton as a little baby with a bumped shoulder, and he's telling us he's okay. Uh, he does look great. He does oh, look great. He he, uh, he thanks he, he thanks uh, a a quote sexy flight attendant who helped him be comfortable on his way to New York and. He pimps a, uh, a get well email address, which is hilarious. It's getwellrandy at www.com, which I hope still exists. And uh, that's where people said their well wishes. I wish I'd emailed to that. Um, and maybe someday. Matt, I, I remember w- in 2004 you had a Randy Orton t shirt, so perhaps you did. I could see it. Uh, and now I want to have Matt Vaughn at www.com. That would be a win for me. 100%. Oh, man, that'd be huge. So 
we see a video package uh, for the Elimination Chamber featuring Eric Bischoff about, uh, bragging about creating it. And um, we see all the competitors fighting each other, including a section where Triple H is bloody after destroying Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. And the lyrics match up pretty well. It's, you know, it says, I see the blood all over your hands. Does it make you feel more like a man? That whole idea of Triple H being uh, maybe not the man he thinks he is just because he uh, can attack people. So it's not bad. I don't mind it. And then, so we, we go backstage. Triple H is there with Ric Flair. And uh, the coach is interviewing him. So, of course, everybody else gets either just a silent moment where they, like, do something, like, outside. And uh, Shawn Michaels has, like, a moment where he almost said something. But Triple H is a full interview, of course. Um, and so Triple H says that he saw himself as a, uh, the object of a lot of envy, which is definitely how he saw himself. And uh, he says he's going up against five of the best ever. Are these five <laughs> of the best ever? I don't know about that. Kane is fine. I mean, I don't know. Like, like I mean, you'd have to do some caveats. Like, Kane, Kane is not one of the best ever. Is RBD one of the best ever? ECW wrestlers? Yes. Booker T, the best of like that era. I don't know. Not quite. Um, now, Triple H says he's still going to be champion because he's that damn good, which is one of his his uh, kind of uh, catchphrases at the time. Um, is he though? He's definitely that something. He's, he's, he's that damn Triple H, I would say. And so. Uh, his intensity appears to be scaring coach, which is weird because it's not that intense. He's just saying he's going to beat people. And then he ends the promo by saying he's got a first class ticket to hell and he wonders who's coming with him. He says it right to the camera afterwards there. So uh, it's still not time for the next match, though, as Eric Bischoff comes out uh, with a, uh, a microphone to walk around the elimination chamber. And this is where I remember that I actually had the, uh, the wrestling figure set of the elimination chamber, which was cool. It was very big. No, you didn't. I did. Probably I promise you. Yeah, Tell you could. More about that. Yeah, so um, back in 2002 or three, you could get um, there's a couple different rings you could get, and the main ring you could get was like bigger, but you could also get Elimination Chamber one, and it had a relatively small ring in it, like it was definitely way smaller than the other ones. Um, I remember it had better turnbuckles in it because the uh, the turnbuckles in um, the main ring were like they were set up in a way that you couldn't do anything on the top rope in a cool way, like they they weren't really how turnbuckles worked, but this one was correct. Um, the pods in it, you could actually, like, they had breakaway glass and everything like that. And um, it was pretty cumbersome because you could do the whole dome and everything like that. It was fun. It was, like, it was pretty great to get it at shortly after watching Elimination Chamber, which I liked. So it exists somewhere. It's probably at the bottom of my, my house's basement or something like that. Um, or, it's, or it's at a landfill in Halifax, for all I know. <laughs> like who's the ladder. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the case. So Eric Bischoff is wandering around the steel cage, the, or the, the, the Elimination Chamber. He's got a steel pipe, though. And he, he is, uh, you know, he's, he's knocking things and he's talking about, ah, oh, it's made of steel. And he goes, bang, bang, bang. And you can hear the noise. And um, just to be clear, in case somebody has never seen the Elimination Chamber before, um, especially since it's been redesigned a little bit since then, um, it was a big circular cage, almost like a bird cage kind of thing. It's made of all black chains. On the outside of the ring is level with the ring canvas. The pods are behind the turnbuckles and there's a big dome on top made of chains. So it's kind of like, it's just a very different style cage. Um, it looks great. I really love like the look of it. It's a different thing, man. Like, so Bischoff explains the rules. He says the first four guys go in the pods. They're at least one at a time every five minutes. And um, we even get a War Games-esque card that explains the rules, which that was fun, right? It even has like the, hey, these guys can come out then. Last guy wins the title and everything like that. So nice little throwback there, which I liked. Um, and even though this kind of felt like it was filling time for some reason, I don't know why you would fill time. Um, Eric Bischoff is very good in this capacity. He helps with the match. He makes it seem like he's very responsible for it. It was very good. Um, now, Brian, I have some trivia for you. Oh, let's have it. 
Well, according to Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer, the Elimination Chamber had a very steep price tag attached to it. Okay. They it cost half a million dollars to build this thing. No, I don't buy that. That's what they said. But you know the crazy thing about this is that apparently half a million dollars is how much the, the annual fee it took to run the entire WWE developmental system at the time, which is crazy. This they're like building on <laughs> the starts. I, I can't fathom that. It's true. Why did they spend that much money on this elimination chamber for a point eight six battery. That was the whole question of it. They're like, well, they better use it again pretty quickly, and they did use it again. But yeah, man, they they spent a ton of money on the thing. They're desperate. There's a little bit of desperation going on at this time, man. I'll tell you. Um, so yeah, so that leads to the elimination chamber match, which is uh, Triple H against Shawn Michaels against Rob Van Dam against Kane against Booker T against Chris Jericho. They're in the elimination chamber. It is for the world title that Triple H. Holds on to it at the beginning of the match. And uh, yeah, so we're not going to cover this in, in full detail here. Um, but uh, you know, I wanted to kind of uh, just note a few things this match uh, beyond the uh, typical ending part. Because I think it is, uh, it's really worth talking about here. Uh, sorry, Brad, I just got to share. I just got a text from uh, former guest Will Vaughn, who is currently watching this show, which is hilarious. Is he? Yes. What's he, just he saying? Texted, he said, I'm very excited to watch this show. So yeah. Uh, Will, I hope you listen to this because you are currently watching the show as I say these words. Um, he's watching it now. So, yeah, if you, if, if you want to do what Will does, watch the rubber series. So, Chris who comes out first. And uh, Saliva, once again, does the music. He does the They do the entrance uh, with the, the song King of My World. which was from the WWE Anthology CD set they had. And uh, Jericho gets in the pod. They lock it up. And they, they are still singing that song for like a minute or two after that. Oh, totally. re- really extending this pre-match part. And uh, now something I noticed here, Brian, which I thought was weird, is um, in the pre-match graphic, we you know the kind of motion graphic where they show all six guys. Um, Jericho is wearing the classic World Tag Team title, like the ones that Demolition. Yes, he is. Does. But he comes to the ring and he's wearing the newly designed title. He wears this new redesign. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, so he has his belt, which must be brand new, I assume. Uh, it's got kind of a more modern look. Like I kind of described it before. It's like it looks like little chunks out of it. Uh, not in a bad way, but just like just how it looks. Um, I'm not sure why they changed them. I know obviously the SmackDown has a very similar, uh, consider very similar looking design, um, which is refreshed with a refreshed look and a bit of a color. Um, now I remember, of course, that they switched the titles on on Raw before launching the ones on SmackDown, but it was not the case. They actually had both at the same time, but Raw switched to new titles very shortly after. So anyway, a little bit of tag team title drama here at Survivor Series, and uh, so the funny thing in here is that the order that the guys enter the ring is also the order in which they enter the match. Uh, which is funny because it's supposed to be drama and you're supposed to like not know what's coming next. Um, but if you pay attention, they come in the order, they come out of the the pods. Really? So first, yeah, so Jericho's first dance. I don't think I picked out. up on that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, although later on we find out that was maybe a mistake, which is interesting. Um, and so Shawn Michaels comes out and, uh, you know, there's been a lot made of his look in this match. Um, you know, <laughs> he's got yes. his, he's got his bob haircut. He's got brown cowboy boots. Um, he's got what I would say are seemingly unfinished tights. Uh, there's an unfinished H on tights. Yeah, well, good way to put it. Well, each each of his hips has an H on it, and you can probably imagine that it was supposed to be HBK down the legs, but they just didn't get to it. Like I don't know why he wore these tights when he could have had a dozen other tights he he owns. Like what is going on here? The brown tights, yeah, terrible. Such a weird choice. Um, now Sean does also gets pyro from the pyro stage uh, instead of it being in the ring like he used to when he poses. So he gets it in the pyro stage. Good for him. Um. Triple H comes out. He gets a big reaction. 
Uh, I think he returned to MSG in early 2002, if I'm not mistaken, right? That was his first day back or his first night back. He was at a raw match. Yeah, yeah, early, yeah. It was uh, Garden 2002. Huge, huge pop. Huge so he gets, January. He gets a big reaction here, too. I don't know if he's actually popular if they remember that or not. And uh, so, Brian, this is where I'm going to draw your attention at the time because the SmackDown Triple Threat Tag Team match ended at uh, an hour and 32 minutes into the show, which would be about 8.32 uh, local time. Right. time. The Elimination Chamber starts at two hours and two minutes into the show at 9.02, fully 30 minutes between matches. Wait a minute. 30 minutes between matches? Yeah, because they had the tag team match ended, and then we saw the uh, Scott Steiner thing, and then all the video packages and the full performance and entrances. So here's the thing. Survivor Series 2002 is two hours and 44 minutes on the WWE Network. And a half-hour break between matches, that means that 10% of the night was this big matchless void right before the main event. How weird is that? It's, a, it's an oddly timed show. It's, it, it really is. It's, and they see, like everything leading up to the chamber seems to be like designed to get out of the way quicker so they have more time to go to this, this whole hour-long piece at the end of the night, uh, which is crazy. And so, Brian, I want to do a little bit of who's up, who's down with these competitors with this match because, you know, it's, it's, okay. a, it's a funny thing. So... Chris Jericho at the time, um, he, tag team champion. He's not really in the main event scene, as I can yeah. tell. Like tag, tag division is mid cardy, right? Yeah. Um, the, oh, different. on Raw, totally. And I've been watching a few of the Raws from 2002. The tag division is very mid card. You know, and and Jericho, he, he had a bit of a beef with Triple H, obviously back in the spring at the the world title match, and uh, he had a Hell in a Cell match in May. Um, Which is a good Hell in a Cell match. That Judgment Day match, I'll stand I, by that. I haven't seen it in a while. We should we, we get to them and watch it sometime. I think it'll be a good in one. In May, I'll, I'll make us watch it. Beauty. Um, so, yeah, I would say uh, I agree with you. I think Jericho's kind of down. He's in the mid-card since arriving on, arriving on Raw in the summer. This is kind of a blip in the main event for him. But, um, it, I mean, it's really just it's telling that he's like this guy who just randomly has half a tag title in this match. You're like, all right, fine. I guess you deserve to be here. Uh, Booker T. He is, I'm gonna say up. I'm, yeah. I'm biased, but I'm gonna say up. I think at this point, you know, he's on that trajectory to uh, work Triple H WrestleMania 19. Of course, we'd all like to remember him winning that match, but that that perhaps didn't happen. But I think at this point, he's definitely up. Yeah, he's been in the mid card for a while, but he's now he's in the main event scene for uh, one of the first times, at least uh, in his run, as I can say. You know, with the exception of some invasion stuff, he is he is in a main event. Um, so he's on his way up. Uh, he won't be there really for a while, but he, he's he's on his way up, I would say. Uh, Kane. Kane is on his way down, right? Oh, gosh. After the Katie Vick and that horrible storyline and jobbing and no mercy, there's nothing left for him to do. No, think, it's true. They're just, what else is he going to do? He's yeah, he, he was like firmly dispatched at no mercy, and then exactly, he was in this terrible feud. He was in this terrible storyline with Katie Vick, so it's like, no, he's he's done. They're, they, he's on his way down. Um, Shawn Michaels. Uh, second match to mm. SummerSlam. His second match in four years. Uh, he's only had huge matches with Triple H at this point. This is one of them. I mean, I guess kind of up, right? I mean, yeah, he's he's up, I suppose. Like, I, I just, it's hard for me to say he's up because I remember the, the 96 or, or maybe the 95 to 98 Shawn Michaels, who was one mm. of my favorite professional wrestlers ever. So compared to that, he's down. But looking at it from this, this level, he, he's coming up. He's on the way up. And then lastly, um, we have, uh, well, not a lastly, I guess. RVD is also there. Um, mm. I'd say he's on his way down, too, right? Like, he was kind of easily dispatched at Unforgiven 2002 back in September. Um, he's not really hanging around the main event scene other than that. 
Yeah, of all the people who are going down, and, and I agree, RBD's down. Uh, he's the saddest one because he shouldn't be. He should be going up. The crowd's behind him. He yeah. should be much in a much better position than he is. But uh, I, I know by early 2003, him and Kane are teaming together in the mid card. So yeah, he's on his way down. On his way down. And then I mean Triple H uh, in this time table, he's only up. He's only up for Triple H. <laughs> he's just constantly up. There's no movement. It's no, just the it's same still- level. Yeah, it's it, it's truly insane, actually. So, so we start with Triple H and Rob Van Dam, and uh, immediately like, like Triple H blades less than three minutes into this match. Um, maybe not the smartest thing to do in the match. It's like forty five minutes long. You wouldn't think so. If anybody's gonna do it, it'll be Triple H. I think honestly, later on he reblades too. <laughs> we'll talk about you it. Think we get so? I think so. Yeah. Um, so at one point, um, Rob Van Dam is climbing on top of Chris Jericho's pod. Uh, and Jericho's not in the match yet, but because the roof of the pot is just changed, uh, Jericho reaches through and he grabs RVD's leg. And uh, I kind of like the idea that like a guy who's not really officially in the match yet, and yet he can still be involved because of just the circumstances of where he is. I like that. Um, so after Jericho uh, finally makes his way into the match, Rob Van Dam does this thing where uh, he leaps to get Jericho, but Jericho dodges, and so Rob Van Dam grabs onto the cage walls, and they, all, they go out of their way to go, oh, it's like Spider-Man. And then he turns as a Christian cross body on Jericho, which is kind of like a significant spot for this match. You know, I feel like Robbie Dam is kind of responsible for setting the tone for all the stuff you can see later on with the structure. Um, you know, he kind of, he does all that. And so Booker T is in next and he mixes it up with RVD uh, until, or he mixes it up with everybody until RVD hits another defining spot of this match. And this is a pretty major spot, which is a triple H is down in the corner and he's pretty close to the turnbuckle. And Robbie Dam climbs to the top rope and then yes. he turns and he climbs on top of the pod and he hits this very awkward looking frog splash on Triple H. Um, and the significant <laughs> part of that is that he lands knee and shin first on Triple H's throat, which kind of famously um, legitimately injured Triple H here. And so you can see kind of like immediately after it happens, Earl Hebner is doing, he's refereeing the match, of course. He is, uh, he's doing these hand signals with a guy by the entrance. He's trying to be subtle about it, but it's clearly like Triple H just hurt. He's not doing okay. guys. This is bad. And um, Triple H, of course, he stays in the match, though. Um, and the, he goes in the hospital after this and stays for a full day. And uh, I learned that from there's an ESPN oral history of the Elimination Chamber. So if you Google Elimination Chamber ESPN, you can read all about it. It's very it's essential reading, I would say. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, that it's is very essential reading. Um, and so apparently Triple H was like he wanted to leave the hospital. He's like I, he went there that night. He's like, I don't need to be here. But his doctor said this. His doctor says, OK, so let me tell you what's going to happen if you leave. You're going to leave here, and then you're going to go to bed. And then in the night, uh, your your larynx is going to swell up, and you're going to choke to death. So, like, do you want me to get the paperwork, and do, let's do that, or what? And Triple H is like, fine, let's not do that. <laughs> so he has to stay <laughs> in the hospital. I assume he misses Raw the next night, because um, he is not there. Uh, he's in the hospital instead. So Triple H is dying on the canvas for uh, large chunks of this match, like just grabbing his throat in, he- in immense pain. And while he is uh, dealing with the really early stages of the pain, Booker T hits Rob Van Dam with a missile dropkick from the top rope, and that's enough to eliminate RVD. He's gone. He didn't even make it to Kane's entrance. Um, Terrible. Yeah. I thought maybe why they wanted they to... Do, why would they do Rob Van Dam like this? He's one of the most over guys on the roster. It's I don't just, know. Why, it boggles my mind. Why do it with the missile dropkick? That, that, that's not impressive. You, had, you could have had Booker T do his actual finisher, like bookend or something, but instead he hits like a... I don't know, Booker T did missile dropkicks, but was never a finisher. I guess you, you're no. like, oh, that, that frog splash took a lot out of him, but it's like, are you serious? No. Don't be like that. I don't like it. I'm a big RVD guy. I don't like the way you stream at this point. No, it's no good. Um, 
And I, re- I really wonder how much of Triple H's injury kind of impacted what's supposed to happen in this match. You know, he's just like dying on the steel girders outside of the ring for a big chunks of it here. Um, and as he's dying there, as I lay dying, Kane comes in. And uh, now here's the interesting thing, Brian, because if you read the ESPN uh, oral history, Chris Jericho contends that Shawn Michaels is supposed to be the next one who came, came in, but they messed up the order. Which is uh, unbelievable to me. They're giving this match 60 minutes or whatever, and they're going to mess up the order. I mean, come mess on. the order. It, was never, it wasn't supposed to be laid out the way it was, which is so weird to think about. So um, regardless, they, they pressed on. It's not really that noticeable. Like, it's not like the match like is terrible or like they don't know what they're doing. Like, they just kind of improvise things, really. Um, and so Kane does a very important spot in this match, which is he tosses Chris Jericho through the, the quote-unquote bulletproof glass, and it breaks uh, as Jericho flies through into it. And so it, it, it kind of yes. comes off in like big shards, like a kind of like big ribbons of it. Uh, imagine how cool it would be was like sugar glass like shattered. Like, I think that'd be so that'd be amazing. Cool. Yeah, it'd be so cool. Just like explodes. Uh, but the crowd reacted huge to it, right? I, I don't know if they were, I guess they're probably expecting someone to go through the glass just because they're in perfect position for someone to get thrown through them. Um, and uh, we'll see, we'll see lots of more Elimination Chamber glass smashing uh, later on. And uh, you know, I think SummerSlam 2003, we'll see a little bit of that as well. Mm, can't wait for that show. So Jericho recovers from getting tossed uh, through the pod. He covers enough to hit Booker T in the groin, and they promptly gets choke slammed by Kane. Um, and so Booker T then hits, uh, gets hit by the lion salt after getting choke slammed, and Jericho pins him to eliminate Booker T. So it's just Kane, Terrible. Triple H, Jericho, and Shawn Michaels is still in his pod. Terrible, you say? Well, I'm just a big. I just would like something different other than Triple H and Shawn Michaels at the end. Anyway, not to not to spoil anything, but. No, Booker, no. T and RV, Booker T and RVD are like the young lions at this point. The different, the different people. You know, yeah. something new, something exciting, and they're two I, of the first people out of there. A change of pace of all things would be so nice, indeed. And so Jericho is now bleeding, and um, this is where I was thinking about like, okay, so the the, ch- the chamber extends, you know, from the ring, and it's uh, flush with it there. So how close is it to the fans? I was trying to think of that. Like, could fans like stand up and just like grab it? It's pretty close. It's um, really close. Yeah, there's a camera guy stationed at like the closest point uh, relative to us, because you can see he's he's kind of wedged in there and also has a camera there. But you would think that people would be very closely grabbing the uh, actual the elimination chamber itself. And so the countdown goes, and Shawn Michaels enters. Everyone's in the chamber now. Um, and so there's a part where Kane goes for Tombstone on Triple H, but he falls backward and he pushes Kane. And Kane gets hit with a sweet shit music from Shawn Michaels. And then Triple H pedigree him. And then Jericho lion salts him. And he gets the pin also. One, another pin for Jericho. And he pins Kane. And we're down to Jericho, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. And uh, after getting double teamed, because essentially this, this is what this part of the match becomes. Just Shawn Michaels getting double teamed by uh, Jericho and Triple H. And, so, and then so Shawn Michaels is bleeding. Uh, and it gets very intense, actually. The blood from Shawn Michaels. Um, and everybody, technically, who's left in this match is now bleeding. So Jericho gets a lion salt on uh, a now very bloody Shawn Michaels. That gets two. And then, but Shawn Michaels does a he has a standing moonsault uh, from the top rope onto Jericho, which is crazy. But that just gets two as well. And then he follows up with his own version of the walls of Jericho. And uh, and then Jericho and you know Triple H they take the advantage once again. And then Jericho goes to pin Shawn Michaels, but Shawn, but Tri- Triple H drags him off. He's mad because he's like, hey, I want to be the one to beat Shawn Michaels. Which is probably stupid, but you know, ego. They're heels. They have ego with each other. So Yeah, I didn't I didn't mind that. that was yeah. okay. This is where I noticed that Jericho's blood is almost all like uh co- like coagulated at this point. 
But it feels like Triple H freshened his up. I feel like he went and got a little bit more out of it because he's 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 bloody all over again. And uh, Jericho gets Triple H in the walls of Jericho, and Triple H is dragging his way to the ropes, and Jericho drags him back. And as he drags him back, Shawn Michaels flies in, hits Sweet Shit Music on Jericho, who is completely prone with the walls of Jericho there. And then he kind of flops under Jericho, and he gets the one, two, and the three, and out goes Jericho. It's just Shawn Michaels and Triple H left. And so Shawn Michaels uh, and, and Triple H, they battle some more. Uh, Shawn Michaels gets slingshotted into the pod, uh, breaking the glass again. Uh, so they can't let Jericho be the only person who did that spot in the show. And uh, at, one point, at one point, Jerry, uh, Jim Ross says that Shawn Michaels is still in this thing. And it's like, yeah, man, like his opponent was dead on the on the concrete for most of it, man, or on the steel at least. Like he, Shawn Michaels is not like any dominated by Triple H, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so shortly after that, uh, Shawn Michaels gets an elbow drop on Triple H with the top of the pod. Uh, you know, all these cool spots are being used again by Shawn Michaels and Triple H, like just really reusing these things here. So Triple H reverses Sweet Chin Music into a pedigree. And he waits a while to cover Shawn Michaels, but Shawn kicks out. And so for Triple H, he goes to the pedigree again. He gets back body dropped. Shawn Michaels hits Sweet Chin Music out of the corner to an enormous ovation. And he gets the one, two, and three for the yes. world title. And it's our fifth title change of the night. Shawn Michaels is the new world champion. How did you feel about that? Did it feel like the old days with Shawn Michaels winning a title? Or did it feel like some old man in weird brown tights and a terrible haircut? He, I mean, I thought I thought he looked pretty good outside of his look. Does that make sense? <laughs> like outside of how he looks, he yeah, looks good. yeah, he was great in the ring. Yeah. So it it is funny. The thing I noticed, the thing I noted about it too, is like this is eighteen months after WCW goes under, and here's Shawn Michaels holding the WCW World Title in Madison Square Garden. How weird is that? Like none of that it makes is, sense. It's very weird. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's like it's like an alternate reality where Shawn Michaels went to uh, WCW at some point, like 1997 and uh, or 96, and then he like won the title and they beat WWE and they did shows at Madison Square Garden. Man, that's that's crazy. I can't even imagine. Imagine Shawn Michaels versus Hollywood Hogan in '97 for the title. Oh uh, baby, oh, oh. baby. So J- Jerry, uh, Jim Ross, rather, he's doing his whole yelly thing. Was there? I can't believe it. Run! This confetti falling at Madison Square Garden. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of confetti, actually, and that uh, that image, Shawn Michaels with the title as Confetti Falls, is how Survivor Series season two ends. The uh, last world title that Shawn Michaels would ever win, right here. It's wild to think that man. He never won the title again. Nope. Now I will add, Brian, that um, Dave Meltzer had some some information to tell us about this night. I want to hear it. Let's get into it. He he tells us that if you can imagine, the Shawn Michaels win was not well received in the locker room. You know, uh, there's the sense that Shawn Michaels only won because Triple H uh, would only lose his title to a friend. And <sighs> apparently that night, Brian, they suggested, hey, what if you lose the title to RVD, Booker T, or Kane? Every single one of those guys was suggested to Triple H, and he shot all of them down. He said none of them were ready. That night. Wait a for that show. Okay, I'm changing my tune here. They're not ready? What yeah. The, what the heck? I know. I know. He was just like, no, we're not going to do it. Um, what does no, that mean? They're not ready. They I, weren't, I don't understand. Triple H's standards were high, Bri. He was just. Who is ready? Shawn Michaels? I don't, I don't know when, when, when is ready. That's the thing I would say. I mean, like, so when, 
Like, what do they have to do to show you that? Because you have to make them at some point, right? Like, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Booker um, T's a five-time WCW champion, for gosh sake. He's been in the business for at a high level for 10 years at this point. How is he not ready? Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, Kane is a former WWE champion. I mean, I don't know. Do I have to point that out already? He's already won the title. It was for a night, but still. It's not nothing. Yeah, Kane, Kane is very much ready. Kane won the title before Triple H did. He did. Yeah, RVD, you know, I mean, he was the ECW television champion for a long time. He's proven himself to be over with the audience in yeah. WWE. We're, we're not ready. I don't understand. That's so stupid. They would, we, they would have loved it. We, I would have loved it back when Robin Dam was champion back then. It'd be incredible. That made me so. That just made me so angry. What you just said. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. It's true though. It's true. Like Triple H is like, I'll lose to Shawn Michaels though. Although apparently the 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 person who sealed the deal was uh, Vince McMahon, who wanted to have a feel good ending at Madison Square Garden. I I can buy that. I yeah. Like that. Well, why person. couldn't it have been Booker T? That's a feel good ending. Would have been great. Uh, I mean, on some level, I don't mind it because um, it's like I mean, the crowd was into it. I don't know what to tell you. Like, if a crowd is into a title change and they're super excited about it, um, it's hard to argue with them about why the is no. I don't. I don't mind the finish. I don't mind Shawn Michaels winning. That doesn't. That's great to me. But what I don't like is Triple H suggesting that everybody else is not ready. That makes me pretty angry. It's ridiculous. It's uh, Triple H is such a nightmare this time. Just nightmare. Just top to bottom a nightmare. Uh, Meltzer also said that uh, he felt that changing all the titles in one night reeked of quote panic booking. What had no long term plan. Is that what this night feels like to you? No, I don't. I don't feel that way. Um, because the Big Show title change, as terrible as it is, the Big Show won it. I feel like it, it makes sense in storyline. Oh yeah, I feel like you'd agree. Um, the Michaels, the Michaels title, as you said, maybe more for the moment. Um, but I don't think it reeks of panic booking. And the other title changes, I don't think they're significant enough to suggest there's any panic. No, I think you're right. I mean, ultimately, like. What they end up doing with Shawn Michaels losing the title back Triple H the next month is like, okay, what was the point of that? Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, which I think is fair. But, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like, the the Brock Lesnar thing had a whole angle with it. Like, they had they had a plan yeah. to take the title off of him in that moment. Um, even if they didn't necessarily want to do that originally. That was fully the plan. And then, yeah, Jamie Noble, who cares? They can lose the title. I think I mean, he probably shouldn't have lost it to Kidman. He had the Kidman's title for five months. Because... They were saying he was the longest reigning champion in the WWE. Yeah. somebody else. Um, yeah, and I mean, and Victoria winning the title also makes sense. She needed to go somewhere as a as a character, and she she won the title. That's big for her. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know Meltz, Meltzer. I think Meltzer. I can just Meltzer. imagine Meltzer. Well, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It just seems it seems very panic booking to me. Yeah, he's just like, well, you know, it's what Vince wanted, and uh, things change. Um, that was really good. That was so you. good. That Meltzer impression was. Thank you. Me. I'm working on there. <laughs> It was completely ridiculous. Sorry, that's my. I tried to do the Alvarez. It didn't really work. Like, I have to swear. That's the problem is that I have to like just scream to be Alvarez. Just scream the F word. Brian Alvarez is my favorite wrestling journalist. Uh, I send Matt uh, Alvarez clips pretty much weekly. It's it's always appreciated. It's always fun to watch him say or 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 for him to when he quietly says this was awesome and he explains why he liked it. I was like this as well. But he's like, yeah, sure, I don't know. I think Triple H just didn't want to lose the title. He didn't want to do it at the time. <laughs> Um, just, just, do, just do my melt impression here, Pop, Pop, Brian. Do what I can. It's a tremendous impression. It really is. Oh, well, thank you. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's panic booking. I, you, you can choose not to like the what Triple H did. And I think it's totally fair, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Brian, final thoughts on the show. What did you think of Survivor Series 2002? 
loved it. Um, I really did. I loved it. I thought it was uh, ever. It start to finish was amazing. Um, I like the elimination chamber. One thing we didn't talk about was those bumps on the oh, chamber. Yeah, that's crazy. Like that was a that hurt. Those bumps hurt. Those famously this was. This was not like the chamber of later years. This was pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, famously, like Jericho was like they designed this thing, and no, no wrestler was involved in it because it hurt so much. Everything was just on steel. It was brutal, and you can feel it when you watch it. It looks so bad, in a good way. Bad in a good way. Hurt so good, you know. Exactly, John, Johnny Cougar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, the SmackDown matches to me were not, you know, terribly significant. Right. I like the storyline in the in the Brock Big Show match. I thought the six man match was somewhat of a disappointment. Uh, the cruiserweight match was, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I really like the Elimination Chamber. I'll stand by the match. I thought it was great. It was a new concept. Um, I mean, really, the show was built around that match. So the Chamber match worked for me, so the show worked for me. Yeah, so you would, you would give it out of Here Comes the Pain, Shut Your Mouth, or Just Bring It. you give it a Just Bring It? I would, honestly. I really liked the Elimination Chamber, and I liked that, uh, you know, Triple H didn't go over. So, yeah, yeah I would. I- I would say, uh, yeah, I would give it a Just Bring It as well. I think it's that's our top rating here, just to be clear, is that uh, Elimination Chamber is worth viewing. Um, it's a funny show. I mean, it's five, it's six matches, uh, one of which takes up almost half the show, uh, just in terms of like like promoting it and the uh, actual match itself. But it's kind of essential viewing for this era, right? Um, like you said, SmackDown matches aren't great, but storyline-wise, they're really relevant. So yeah, it's a Just Bring It. That's, it's a solid show and worth definitely watching. Be, be like my brother Will and watch it uh, in this moment. So... Um, the next week's show that we're going to cover is the November 21st, 2002 episode of, of SmackDown. So you can go ahead and watch it ahead of time, or you can just listen back next week, and we'll take you through it. Um, but yeah, uh, if you like the show, be sure to share it with somebody who maybe likes uh, wrestling and would love to get a great podcast. We'd love to get more ears on this as much as possible. And uh, uh, if you know somebody who is wrestling for WWE at this time, you can let me know. Maybe I can talk to, I don't know, Shannon Moore or... Or uh, I want to say Crash Holly, who is uh, sadly deceased. So now we won't talk to Crash Holly um, <laughs> unless I get another Ouija board. Crash Holly, I'm sorry. Yeah, boy. Not a joke I meant to make. Uh, not a joke at all. Um, R.I.P. Uh, Crash Holly. Um, but yes, you, get, get, get them in touch with me too. Why not? I'd love to talk to them. I'd love to find out some more stuff about SmackDown this time, what the locker room is like, um, if people liked Al Wilson and his delivery, uh, if they how they felt about Ch- uh, Shawn Michaels winning this the Raw title. Maybe they're at SmackDown, but they still had opinions about it. I'd love to know. We'd love to know here at the SmackDown 6 podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. But until next time, Brian, thank you so much for joining me, for being with me today, man. I really appreciate it. Um, great great to watch the show with you in person and then talk about it. Yeah, I loved it. It was great to watch it um, a second time. Because when you and I are watching it, we don't hear the commentary. Like, we're just talking the whole time about whatever else. So it was nice to, to watch it again afterwards and kind of, you know, soak it in a little bit more. And uh, I, I think that's a really – it was a great show. I, I enjoy watching it a lot. Absolutely. And so, yeah, folks, thank you once again for joining us for the SmackDown 6 podcast. Thank you for joining us for a Survivor Series 2002. And I just want to say to all my freaks, Podcast City, Big Papa Pump is your hookup. All right if you hear me.